Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to another edition of Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night. I'm John Hindoff. This is Series 10, Episode 18 and just to my right, geographically, not necessarily politically uh, at the moment, particularly we have to say that with the general election coming here in the UK, is our Formula 1, MotoGP, all things bike, battery, RC and other correspondents, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, John. And uh, oddly... Because I've managed to disenfranchise myself a number of times. Because Spa normally clashes with our local election, doesn't it? Uh, yes, got, it does. But this year, it doesn't. But I've managed to disenfranchise myself because I'm going to Sweden next week. Ah, excellent. Secret mission, can't talk about it. Right, okay. Uh, no uh, no Tim tonight, so it's just me and Nick. No, it's not actually. Because in... <laughs> oh, sorry. In a packed programme tonight, we have... All the usual features. Uh, well, that's not that's actually not true. No, not exactly <laughs> true. There'll be some of the usual features uh, and uh, some new stuff that you haven't heard before. Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCar.com falls in the usual features category, as does Racer.com's Marshall Pruitt. Uh, and we'll uh, hopefully also have a little bit of a look at the DTM, which starts next week. And sorry, I've just been entertained by one of the crows chasing a small rabbit uh, across the uh, across the meadow. <laughs> We had a small rabbit in the garden yesterday, which was very entertaining. Could you not, could you not eat it in the kitchen? No. <laughs> mm. uh, let's talk about gloss over that. Can I throw out a thank you to to Alan, Alan ah. of the Cookie Village, Alan of the Collective, Alan of the Collective, Alan and his lovely partner Dave. Yeah, not the business partner. Business partner, but apparently that he was asked some questions. How long have you two been together? Mm. By some very concerned. Or happy uh, uh, part, uh, 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 he put in a lovely spread for my darling wife Rachel's birthday. It was last week. Thank you very much. And if you are listening to this live or live-ish, mm. there is an event in aid of a charity event this weekend: a beer festival and race night. Which I think uh, the race night should start just as Spa ends. The cookie billet in uh, Newton Longville near Milton Keynes. Uh, and uh, it's if you look on the uh, web, you'll find they've got their own. And in fairness, the food. Uh, no time for any apologies for absence tonight, other than from Tim, who is didn't away. Apologise, no, <laughs> <laughs> <Didn't> apologise <laughs> at all. So uh, let's get straight into some news. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek motorsport, and we'll start off with some Formula One. Hooray! Uh, what? Yeah, well, can I just say? I'm going to say I don't know if this, this thing I set, saw what I thought was the best idea ever right. from someone inside Formula 1 this week which was did you see about Bob Fernley's idea from oh. Force India what was his idea his idea to spice up, the show, spice up the show right. add intrigue yeah. at no extra cost right every team gets to choose which two of the four Pirelli compounds they want 
Oh. They tell Pirelli four weeks in advance, so yeah. it doesn't cost Pirelli any more money, mm-hmm. and everyone else only finds out on the Thursday before the race. So if you want to run soft and super soft, you can. If you want to run hard and medium, and you can. And stop every two minutes. It's, it's entirely up to you. So if you build like a car that's light and it's loafers, you can choose tyres for it either, you know, and... I think it's a brilliant idea. I think that is a very good idea. That, that's had no cost. It adds interest. I mean, I, I know obviously it would standardise a lot of the races. They'd probably they choose the same apart from some of the small teams looking different. But I just thought, my gosh, I've actually heard someone come up with a really a zero-cost idea that's really good. Mm, so that was, that's good. My, my, my Bob Fernley, what a great guy, vote. Uh, Do you want more Bob Fernley news? Yes, go on. Because be, Bob Fernley now appears to be the uh, who's the deputy... Obviously, the VJ Malier is the is the owner and team principal of uh, Force India. The guy who really runs it is, is Bob Fern at day-to-day basis. And Bob also is talking about trying to bring back the V8 engines, mm-hmm. but run them together with the V6s, with oh, a with really? a equivalency formula, based on the fact that the uh, V8s are significantly cheaper, obviously. Uh, running with a bit of curves from the old-fashioned curves from a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, and and. Running, and that he's, that's his idea to, to do that. Um, I think that the this whole engine formula thing is interesting because I don't think it's the other thing that came up today. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I know I'm wittering on without you coming any, any input at all. Or no, sorry, right, carry on, carry on. Um, did you see the thing about they want to get a thousand horsepower? One thousand, oh, because is, that's the minimum you need. Which is a bit kind of meh to us, nah, isn't it? Really, nah. But you do, what I didn't realise was, do you know what they reckon the be the uh, Mercedes is, is producing now? Eight nine hundred nine ten. Nine ten. Uh, the Ferrari about eight nineteen, and the uh, Renault seventy two. Uh, it's actually running a clear one seven two engine, in fact. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, but no, it's not quite as much as you think. And of course, they can do it quite easily. All they would need to do is get more fuel flow through because it's just turning the turbo up. Um, um, but the idea is to go to a thousand horsepower and then tweak the V eights from before to to reach that sort of figure as well, or a few horsepower below. Uh, that's interesting. Okay, that's very interesting. Uh, Bob Fernley news. Got, uh, we'll have more Formula One uh, news from the paddock at the moment. But mm-hmm. what has Silverstone CEO and Chairman Patrick Allen been saying, other than this, of course? We've been giving you recently. You will by now have chosen your fallout room mm-hmm. and gathered yeah. your materials for an inner refuge. Yes, of course you will. I'd like to point out, do not build your fallout room in the wing, as it's very liable in any form of explosion, the roof would fall off it. Well, hang on, let's see what else he's been saying. More details are given in the booklet. Protect and survive. There you go. Thank That's you. That's the, Pat uh, Rick. Max Mosley version. That's the protect, survive, and save money. The uh, yes, uh, Patrick Allen. There. What has Patrick Allen actually been saying, saying this week? It then wasn't it, wasn't it yesterday or the day before? Was the official F1 media launch of the Grand Prix? Of next year's Grand Prix. This Grand oh, no, this Prix, year's Grand Which appears to be the most pointless. Why, why do you need a media launch of the British Grand Prix when we all know the British Grand Prix is going to happen and... Why are you launching it? Like, people are going, guess what? Guess what? There's going to be a Grand Prix itself. We didn't know. They've launched it to the media. Thank goodness. Mm. I don't understand the point of that. But what he's been saying, he's got to get, the. he has been saying, protect and survive. He or has. at least get together yeah. and survive. Has yes. he not? He wants all the traditional venues to come together and club together and form an a, a association of motorcycles. A fallout shelter. Yes, in the UK. Basically, he wants them to come together and, and, and protect themselves. I didn't realise until uh, this week that there's actually written into the Concord Agreement half the races have to be in Europe. Hence yes. the reason... The Azerbaijan Grand Prix, what will it be called? Uh, Grand Prix of Europe. Yeah. yeah. Because it's not actually in Europe, of course. No. 
So that's Bernie. Uh, oh, I can't say what I wanted to say then. Uh, mucking with the system. Ah. Um, what Patrick Allen said this week was, Formula One Grand Prix circuits need to form an association to work together and ensure their survival on the calendar. That's what he said. Like that, probably. Um, really quite easy. Bernie stops asking stupid amounts of money for it. Um, he met with Bernie Eccleston recently, uh, and uh, he said, uh, I've been down to St. Bernie. Our meetings were very affable. He put out the hand of friendship. He said he would like to help Silverstone and that we should get together. I'm sorry? He said he would like to help Silverstone and that he would, that he would like to uh, get together to help them in the future and to kick kick some ideas about. And this is what else? Your family. Hang on. Water is more essential to life than food. Ah, uh, that's, that's what Bernie said, apparently. I think he actually said, cash is more right than anything else. <laughs> Give me some cash and I'll do anything you like. Yeah, but most importantly, as you should know by now, mm. right, uh, anything, that any time you go to a racetrack, it's very, very important, yeah. as Patrick Allen of Silverstone will always tell you, to take what? Um, food? No. Uh, headphones. No, oh, close. Radio Le Mans. Yes. A big explosion. A big explosion. That's right. That sounds a bit like you had a curry at one of the. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I, I, this is what he when said. When you take cover in your inner refuge, yep. you way. must not go outside until it is absolutely safe. some bad prog rock going on. And if the fallout is heavy, you may be in your refuge for quite a long time. This is all about this. Although the danger from fallout will get less and less as time goes by, after a couple of you will never be able to judge for yourself how bad it is. So, advice will be given to you on the radio. Um, So keep listening. So keep listening. I need to clip that actually, don't we? If advice be given to the radio, so keep listening. Listening. Yes, absolutely. This whole—it's—it's getting more and more likely. It appears to me that uh, we might lose Monza. Um, now, people poo-pooed me back at before me. Sebring. I said this to you. And I said it at Sebring, and I said, is anybody else hearing this? I, I, did I send you a text or an email? I said, are you hearing this? And you said, yes, I've heard that as well. And I mentioned it to a couple of people who's, who I actually uh, very much uh, um, uh, respect. Respect, <laughs> thank you. Respect their opinion, thank you. I am... <laughs> Really struggling for words at the moment. Um, Nothing important in your job, though, is no, it? No, not, not at all, uh, Div. Um, and they all poo-pooed it. But it is looking more and more like Monza is going to... Now, this is, it, this is cash and tax credits again, isn't it? It's, it's cash this, and cash. Yes. It's the tax credits slash the fee. Um, and But Azerbaijan's ready to step in, of course. Well, Azerbaijan's definitely in. This is his whole got-to-do-half-the-races... In Europe gig, apparently. I mean, I'm not quite sure with the loss of the German... I think the loss of the German Grand Prix being on the calendar will be, will be um, an exceptional circumstance as such, and, and no one can, can, can bank against that. My feeling well, is it was on the calendar that it's to start double with, yes, money, and I don't... A lot of what happens within Bernie is sabre-rattling, but suddenly from this never happening, it's gone right to the forefront of the news uh, in F1. Everyone's down to getting worried about it, and I... <sighs> There's a 15 million year, is it euro, yeah, 15 million euro hole, mm. and someone's got to plug that. And historically, it's not, it's never been from. Mm. And without the 15 million euros, the race ain't going to happen. Mm. So I really hope not. Um, I, I'm sorry, I really hope it does happen. It would be a disaster if it didn't, in fairness, mm-hmm. because that really would be one of the 
you know, we've, in fairness... It's one it, of the jewels in the crown, no, isn't it? It's Monaco, Monza. I don't like it, but in fairness, Silverstone is one of the jewels in the crown for no, well, historical reasons. Well, no, in fairness, it's not Silverstone, it's the British Grand Prix. British Grand Prix, and yeah. of Spa, which has come and gone, but it's back again now. Yeah. Although, yeah. in fairness, the, the British Grand Prix has been at Silverstone more than anywhere else oh, now, I would massively. say. Yeah. Massively. Probably three times as many times yeah, as anywhere else. Sadly. So, you know, I think that's probably our own personal prejudice. Yeah, it, a lot of people like Silverstone. As, as but, you know, so the British Grand Prix, Belgian Grand Prix, the Spa, mm. Monza, and. Um, uh, Monaco, that's the backbone of, of F1. I mean, I it's would the backbone yeah. of European F1 for sure. No, it's the backbone of F1. Um, what? Uh, yes, so we'll keep an eye on that and we'll find out what's going to happen. Um, who were running at Brands Hatch earlier in the week on Monday? Lotus? Yes. They're doing a, tele- a television day, they're doing a filming day, weren't they? Yes, well, th- that means they can't run the current car, does it? They or can run the current car, but they can only run a maximum kilometre, and I believe a maximum speed of 150 miles an hour. Okay. Well, and they can't pretty, use proper tyres. Would have been quite spectacular. They can't yeah. use proper tyres. Right. They have to use the travel tyres, which are rock hard. Um, yeah, they, were doing, they actually were doing some proper filming, because they had a couple of classic Lotuses out there they as did, well. They yes. So they actually were doing something. And they threw it open to the public for oh, free. Oh, sweet. And they did a pit walk. Did they? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know they're that. The, 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 I mean, then there was more than thousands there, but they'd come down and have a look at the cars. What has Eric Boulier said this week about being competitive with Honda at McLaren? It'll happen Monday. Happen next Tuesday. Happen with... What, 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 I don't know. What is he, is he, he said they expect to be competitive with Honda by the end of next year. The end of next year. The end of next season. That's what he said. You do realise that's when the rules will change, don't you? There's no real point being competitive then. And they've also said <laughs> McLaren are starting to uh, understand Honda in their working relationship. Uh, yes, Honda have built an engine that doesn't work, and they understand it doesn't work. What is? The, it's a radical engine, though. It's different, isn't it? It's not oh. as, the, as much the same uh, as the others as yeah, it should be. Yeah, there was a couple of rumours. It's. It, I think really this is a much more of a Sam Collins question, but it's again, it's down to the turbo placement and, and the precise uh, design of the turbocharger. Apparently, Honda have done something quite clever with the turbocharger, which means it's. Eliminates lag, makes it more efficient. It lacks ultimate power, but that isn't needed anymore, of course, because you're you're limited by um, boost rates and fuel flow. Um, who wants to open everything out and let it all be free? Um, have a spanking new time. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, so, so everything can be caned along oh, with everything else. I see, yes. You can whip along at uh, a great speed. Yes, that's. <laughs> And you'll be able to thrash these things within an inch <laughs> of, of their, their lives. lives. Would that, would that, would Give that... them a good leathering, yeah. that's what I say. See, your language has come back now, you're doing puns about Max Mose, isn't it? You can't think of the word respect, but doing a couple of spanking gags, no issue. <laughs> <laughs> that says, I'm afraid that says sadly uh, an sadly awful lot. Sadly too much, yeah. Yes. Max Mosley uh, has said, I think, that he wants to urge... A rules-free option. I don't. I haven't actually read this article, but it sounds like it's just Max Moses. Admittedly, he is total rules freedom. He's not about. He isn't as bad a renter quote as Jacques Villeneuve. Jacques Villeneuve, but he's pretty bad. Total rules f- rules freedom in exchange for spending no money. Well, actually, you're quite right. A um, hundred million dollars budget cap. So they've gone from forty million pounds to sixty-five million, I suppose, at current exchange rates. He was speaking in Auto Motor und Sport uh, and said uh, uh, they would realise soon that for $100 million you could have great motorsport and build technically advanced cars. That's what Mr. Mosley said. You could. Um, if It really depends the $100 million includes paying the drivers, in which case both uh, Ferrari and uh, uh, 
They say they have about £11 left to spend. Yes, that is a fair point. Um, Bernie Eccleston says bringing back V8, perhaps even alongside. Yeah, that's what Bob said as well. Mm. Um, Manisha Coltonborn has said... I just point out, that this, is, this, this is flawed, because the whole point about it is the V6 is every, time you, every year you use them, they get cheaper. Yeah. Because you're amortising the development. The, the amount of development between year one and year two is quite great. The amount of development between year two and year three is going to go down. They actually keep living with them, mm-hmm. so they get less and less and less and less. Those, v, those V8s everyone talks about, uh, eulogise about were bloody expensive in the yes. first year. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, what? Uh, all right, who is winning but still showing that they're losing? Well, they're not winning, actually, but they're doing quite well but still showing that they're using, losing. No, you've got me. That's far too cryptic. Who's, Who's posted win? big losses? Oh, you've you, you've did, that's not fake. You've, you've, you've took, I've been thinking about tracks. I'm not thinking about cash-tastic answers. Mm. Well, it's Williams. They've lost a fortune. Mm. Forty-two and a half million pounds, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's as that's less. That's about a tenth of what Manor still owes, isn't it? I, <laughs> I don't. About a tenth of what they spend. Mm. Um, the, apparently, it's it's what it's delay. It's the delay. It's the result of being rubbish in 2013 um, affects the 2014 money. Mm-hmm. And the 2000, they don't get the money for last year being good till this year. Hmm. They made money the previous year because they weren't awful. But it was their worst year ever in 2013. As we found out, prize money is paid a year in arrears. So in 2014, they didn't get a very big check from FOM. So it's Williams the hangover, is it? Basically, yeah. Yep. Okay. So they've lost So they lost a lot of money. I mean, they, they didn't seem very bothered about it, which is quite interesting. If I'd lost £40 million, even with a reason, I'd be quite concerned. Then again, Tesco lost £6 billion, So, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How parochial again. You're listening to <laughs> Midweek... Yes, very cheaply. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 10, episode 18. Uh, just after quarter past, it's Nick and John at the moment. Before we leave... Formula One, normally, yes. In Formula One, yes. if you ask a question, mm-hmm. for sure, yeah, people's noses get bigger. So they're saying they're lying, right? Pinocchioizing, Pinocchioizing yes. going on. Who's going the other way? What? I'm telling the truth. Well, no. Whose noses are getting smaller? Oh, very good. Well, theoretically, mm. theoretically, it's 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 Red Bull. Um, we are about to have, well, obviously this this weekend it's WEC, but next weekend the European season starts for F1 at mm. Barcelona. The, the well, theater. I want to get out ahead of this because there's a couple of our listeners have already posted stuff on the collective, yeah. if you haven't seen it, of stuff that we've been chasing in Formula 1 for a little while. And I know that everybody thinks that I don't like Formula 1. That is not the case. I am tremendously interested in what's going on in Formula 1 at the moment and it seems as though Red Bull and all the Christian mourning at the Christian mourner at the start of the season might have been a bit tactical because they actually didn't have a very new car at the start of the year yeah. because of the way the regs were they did that old fashioned thing that very old school thing of coming with last year's car with a bit of different bodywork on it, whilst they've still been working on this year's car. There's some. There are a succession of rumours about what happened with Red Bull at the back end of last year and the strife therein and the, the conversations they had. Um, and it's very strongly rumoured, and, and was quite strongly rumoured even as far back as the second test. Now, I can't remember if that was Jerez or Barcelona. I think it was Barcelona 1, wasn't it? Mm. That they were going to do a complete redesign of the front end of the car. Now, that includes running a, a very short and stubby nose, a la Williams slash uh, 
Mercedes, and of course, as anyone knows, if you change the very front leading edge of an aerodynamic package, everything else is conditional on that. How you first address the air will, com- you know, you can't put an, a, you know, a complete radical front wing on without changing the pods and the undertray and the undercuts mm. and even the rear wing. So it's a complete redesign. Um, now, the other thing, as you said, John, is, is, there, is a, there is a concept. The reason that they didn't uh, adopt this ultra-short nose, which appears to be what works the best, was, as you say, because they were having delivery, build, conceptual issues um, f- as a hangover from last year, as a hangover from the change of management, um, hangover from Adrian not being so interested, and Peter Peromadu, as they might always have problems pronouncing uh, leaving and they were actually late and couldn't bring these new packages. Someone said, you know, the fact is, I also read someone that said, oh, it's going to be worth three quarters of a second to second to everyone else. They're going to instantly leap up to the front. They're not. No, because everybody else will be moving forward as well. Two reasons. One, everyone else will move forward. And the big difference between 2015 and 2014 and the four previous years when they won is we are now in the age of an engine formula, mm. not an aero formula. That's interesting. And the fact is that the aero on both the McLaren, time good grief, on the Mercedes and the Ferrari ain't bad. Yeah. You know, and even if they, you came up with the best ever Adrian Newey supercar, it's not going to make up the... the Ridiculous amount of horsepower and reliability there down anyway. But there, there is a there is a thought that they have been that they're going to introduce this as late as possible so people can't copy them. Well, people don't have to bother copying them this year because they they're so hidebound by a rubbish engine. You know, it's it, it the people can go oh look at that that looks quite good I'll do it for next year when they might have a better engine. I mean. The fact is, that there is, if you look historically back, every single year, people are going to bring these great leap forwards at the start of the European season. But the thing is, everyone brings something. And everyone moves a bit forward, and everyone stays in the same place, apart from Manor, mm. who'll get further behind, um, as will Force India, because their revision isn't coming for a few, few races. So you'll probably see also some of the, the, the... This is where the money comes into it, and you'll start seeing, I would think, some of the better-funded teams stretch away. Some of the teams have made slight mistakes for... In their concepts, will will make up for it as well. They've had a chance to build on it, but the likelihood is things will stay very similar. Um, yeah, there are people saying Ferrari going to pick up an engine boost and um, you know get close to Mercedes, and, and everyone always thinks you know, everyone seems to get this concept that the person at the front is doing nothing, and you know, and everyone else is getting close to them. They realise yeah. the person at the front is also moving forward and also developing. And if anyone noticed last year, the, the Mercedes so gap do, got do, bigger during the year. Do you think they will actually find three quarters of a second of a lap with this this short nose? Then no, 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 not even on their own pace. No, no. Okay. Yeah, it, it, the, the thing is, of course, pace is an interesting thing. Is it, is that three quarters second a lap qualifying? Is it three quarters second a lap every single lap? Is it uh, the ability to manage your tyres better, therefore gaining three quarters second a lap at the end of a session? You know, there's, there's many. The way to get a lap time changes in different parts of the weekend. Um, on the whole, more downforce is always a good thing um, because it limits um, tyre wear as well as everything else. But also, yeah, it depends about the level of the drag, and you know, they mm. can't carry drag because they've got no power. So they're in a rock and a hard place when you're starting that, that, the amount of power they are behind the other two engines. Mm. Uh, my feeling is, you know, there's a possibility of maybe an ebb and flow over the rest of the season between how far behind Ferrari are in relative to Mercedes. The fact is that Ferrari will only 
we'll, we'll win more races this year. They'll win races every now and again. But we've currently had four races. Three races we won with Mercedes and one of them won Ferrari. And if we get at the end with 20 races and 16 in one by, by or 19 races and 15 in one by Mercedes and four, four of them won with Ferrari, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. Mm. The uh, Have you heard about Unit 9? I've heard building about nine. Building yes. 9. Building 9. Building 9 in the... Uh, yeah. There's supposed to be something secret going on at Building 9. At, um, Adrian's project. Adrian's project, yes. Which has got water involved, apparently. Do we think? So it wouldn't be the... Do we think that's the board? Well, someone's saying it might the be America's hydroscopic... Cuff. You know, hydroplane... You know, basically doing aero underwater. For the America's Cup thing. And the car as well, apparently. Looking at the way air flows using water. Which will be fine when they go to Spa. Well, it's yeah. it's very they'll wet. They'll be legislated against anyway, so... Do we actually think... I, I don't, I have, I, by the way, I have no idea if it's actually anything to do with that. Um, just because you're building something new at a factory doesn't mean anything. Because actually, the Red Bull factory is quite small. Mm. Do we think that Adrian is going to step away? Well, he has stepped away. Well, he has, but he hasn't. You still see him at the Grand Prix, don't you? Yeah, I mean, he's still doing uh, doing a bit... Of, yeah, the point about it is, this is where the, the intense work during the season gets on. I mean, if he's now wandered off to do something else, somebody else is doing the development. Mm. Um, who may be good or who may be bad. I mean, it's, the fact is, the concept of the car obviously isn't brilliant. That's quite obvious. Um, but then, they're run, as I said, they're running so many compromises to make up for the, the, the engine power, <laughs> the engine reliability. Um, you know, the, 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 it's one of the big questions. And in fairness, they are appalling whingers, and they are able to lose public opinion in a matter of blink of an eye. But Renault have done a shocking job. You know, mm. did you see Franz Tost actually said that, it was, that Mercedes had, had helped Ferrari this year? Mercedes actually deliberately helped Ferrari by recommending they signed up one of their um, hybrid engineers. Mm. Uh, and you're thinking, France, you really are scraping the bottom barrel. I said, earlier on, I said the worst renter quote was Jacques Villeneuve. I now think perhaps actually the worst renter quote is France Tost. Both of the Toro Rosso drivers have been fairly mm. um, verbose. Yeah, if you notice that, what's happened is is that they've decided that it's really bad PR for the team managers to slag off Renault. So three of the four drivers have had a go to this year, this last couple of weeks. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel Kvyat and both of the Toro drivers have slagged off um, the Renault engine. And Daniel Ricciardo has just smiled and said, well, I only got across the lines, it exploded. Mm. And kind of left it at that. So they've decided, well, what we'll do is we'll just get all the drivers to slag the engine off. Um, they really, yeah, they don't understand the word partnership, but Renault have really dropped the uh, dropped the ball. ball. Uh, okay. Um, I'll, so, where's the next one? Barcelona. Barcelona. Sorry, yes. Yes, Barcelona. <laughs> Ten days time. It's in Spain. So, it's the first of the uh, European swing, if you will. Are we going to see a massive change or any kind of change in what we've seen in the first part of the season? No. Big changes for Mercedes, no? No, it doesn't need to be big. You still think they're well within themselves? Well, they're going to, they, they have a definite advantage in qualifying, which is going to put them ahead of the grid in, in Barcelona, which is a good start. Um, Ferrari don't have got a number of strong points, but don't seem yet to get on top of both sets of tyres at the same time, by both types of tyres at the same time. You know, they weren't far off in. We, we, the thing is, we never actually really know what the ultimate pace of Mercedes is, mm. because Hamilton has won the last two races going as slowly as possible. Mm-hmm. Because not only does he want to save his tyres, but also he's saving his engines. They've I mean, got four engines. Good point. They might get the fifth one this weekend, which might change things. Yes. Uh, that's Nick Damon. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 10, episode 18. And uh, Nick will stay with us uh, for the rest of the evening. Uh, no Tim Gray tonight. He'll be back next week. Uh, and next, ooh, well, could be... 
Could be absolutely anything. Midweek Motorsport with John Hindhoff. Midweek Motorsport then, Series 10, Episode 18. Nick Damon uh, still with us after that first epic half hour of Formula 1 news. Well, you know, we've spread out the starting gate. We're doing a couple of laps, but of course, being F1, we're nearly finished. But I'm sure your race has got many hours to run yet. And joining <laughs> us from the Supreme Headquarters... Supreme? Supreme. <laughs> Supreme Headquarters... Uh, do, do some more whipping gags. You're fine with those. <laughs> yes. Supreme Headquarters... Odd that, isn't oh, yeah. it? Supreme Headquarters Endurance Daily... Uh, the SHED. Uh, we say good evening to the editor of dailysportscar.com, Graham Goodwin. Hello, Graham. Good evening. It's the magic hour, isn't it? Uh, just when Formula One's finished, the rest of motorsports just getting motoring. <laughs> it is a bit like it, it is, in fact, uh, a bit like that. You, you're not wrong. Um, fantastically busy weekend uh, coming up, Graham, in terms of, uh, of sports cars. We'll talk to Marshall hopefully in the second hour of tonight's programme about uh, what's going on in the States. We've got FIAWEC, of course, this weekend uh, at Spar. But before we get into that, we kind of need just to uh, round up one or two little bits and pieces of news coming through uh, this week um, on other bits of sports car news. Uh, and uh, a new, once again, I've got to give it uh, to SRO, uh, right at the forefront again. Uh, these were the guys, remember, with the GT1 World Championship who started streaming TV, uh, following in the footsteps of IMSA and streaming audio. Uh, new free app for Blancpain. Yeah, absolutely. They're looking for an audience. And uh, let's face it, it's a very good way to get one is to make what you've got available widely and free. And uh, they uh, uh, bring money where mouth is. And uh, new Blancpain GT Series app for both the sprint and the endurance uh, races. Um, including, of course, the 24 Hours of Spa, uh, where there is TV available. It'll be streamed uh, on the app, free of charge and uh, free live timing as well. So good news for all lovers of uh, lovely GT3 cars. The uh, entry list came out for the uh, 43rd ADAC 24 Hours of the Nürburgring. Any shockers on there? No, I think uh, much as we expected, it's a it's a big grid, not quite as big as it has been, but that's in part because I think of some of the uncertainties. But uh, all the usual suspects are there. Uh, factory entries from all the German makes plus Aston Martin, Nismo as well there with a pair of uh, Nissan GTRs. Um, it's going to be another great race, I hope. And mm. and what we have had a chance to see, John, is that the uh, the safety changes that have been introduced in the interim. Uh, by the DMSB um, on the Nordschleife have all uh, have been tested now in race conditions for both the uh, Nürburgring 24 hours qualifying race and last weekend in the second of the VLN races and so far things seem to be going uh, swimmingly there will be some changes to the way in which spectators circulate around the track for the 24 hours itself with some road uh, closures and uh, spectators will be bussed around I suspect that's uh, for two th- two reasons one is to actually help with a response to any emergency and two is to dissuade uh, fans from wandering through the woods into places they shouldn't be mm. uh, with with trackside restrictions so i think so far 
a very sensible response to what was a very serious incident. And uh, let's wait and see how things pan out. Uh, and of course, the full exclusive live coverage here on RadioLeMond.com for that 33rd running of the Great Race Round. The ring, talking of 24 hours, we had the Silverstone 24 hours uh, last weekend, quieter than ever before uh, in every respect. Um, I did hear that you couldn't even hear the PA system at the track, uh, such was the uh, uh, such was the noise is it, restrictions. Is it true that the that um, next year's PA has been done by uh, Bob Harris? Whispering Bob. Um, oh, apparently, it's, it's, it's been done in mime. Uh, that would be brilliant. Bob Harris isn't that sort of voice, is it? No. Well, hello. That's your Bernard Charles Eccleston voice. No, Bernie's more like that. That was the same voice. Um, uh, uh, it was, there was a surprise entry, as we mentioned last week, from the uh, the new LMP3 Janetta, which, considering it's it was barely a month old, um, was quite brave. And it didn't run faultlessly, but no. they had a good time in it. And I suspect they actually, all joking aside, they learned quite a lot about that car. Oh, well, they learned it worked on Dunlots, for starters, because mm-hmm. uh, it was the first race the car has actually done anything other than Michelin's. The first running the car has done anything other than Michelin's, um, which could be handy, depending on which way things go for other series. But you're right, it's mileage under the wheels of that car. Um, they got the car to the finish, albeit much delayed. Uh, it got a little bit on fire at one point, I gather, but, um, but finished the race, uh, complete with uh, a fabulous... Um, Martin Short designed, I'm told, um, demisting system uh, consisting of, well, rather incredibly, and, and I failed to add this to the Daily Sports Girl story run earlier in the, in the week, um, it's one of Shorty's spare hair dryers. Now, you know Shorty as well as I do. <laughs> well, I, I would mean, think it only, was, surely it's think, very spare then. Well, I, I don't think it's probably used for some decades, really. But the point, but the strange thing here is he didn't just have one spare. He had several spares. So I think it's more in hope than expectation for, for Martin. But uh, uh, what, what I should actually say is, is to his eternal credit, they realised that the car, um, very new that it was, was uh, suffering problems with demisting. Uh, Shorty's BMW GTR was, I believe, out the race by this, this stage. Mm. Uh, and they came down with these 12 volts uh, hair dryers, clearly something that Rolls has had experience with before. And the vast kind of cornucopia of cars they've uh, they've actually uh, campaigned down the years and suggested to the uh, genetic guys that they might want to try it and tried it. And it worked. Well done. Uh, and uh, just under 30 cars started, just under 20 finished. Um, I, I have to say, from what I was hearing over the weekend, no live coverage, I'm afraid, this year. And certainly from what uh, James Tucker was saying beforehand, uh, are, we, are we seeing, sadly, the the era of the UK's multi-class 24-hour race, uh, international-style 24-hour race, are we seeing that coming to an end, do we think? Well, I hope not. Me but too. I fear, but I fear so. I mean, it's it's fair to say that there are a number of interesting entries, but not enough of them. And uh, race, we should say, by the way, won by uh, Beach Dean in the GT4 Aston Martin. None of the GT3 cars, or indeed the GT2 car that started, um, I'm afraid, uh, got to the finish. 
Um, so unfortunately, I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't, it, there were some glorious performances, but a glorious race it wasn't, I'm afraid. There are some green shoots. There's another rival series out there now, the uh, endurance racing series uh, being launched this year. And uh, I know cooperating with your friends at 360 Motor uh, Club mm. um, the, in their first race. But I think everybody's struggling for entries. Everybody's struggling for, uh, you know, a package that kind of hangs together. It's still not quite there, is it, in terms of, you know, the economy being where it needs to be for people to sustain what, Whatever you drive, it's not a cheap experience, is it? A twenty-four no, hour race. No, not at all. And um, so let's wait and see. There's no reason at all why it shouldn't succeed. Um, you know, we had a couple of the Mark Focus V8s uh, out there for this one, and that seems to me to be an ideal sort of vehicle to to do that and other uh, long distance racing. They're but, really uh, putting themselves out for out there, aren't they? The Mark guys. We've seen them obviously in Australia to start with. We've now yep. seen them in the Middle East and at Zandvoort in the Cravontic events and now showcasing them uh, in the UK as well. I, I, there's more than a germ of an idea there. Well, We've bit, said this a, before. Well, an interesting kind of aside, uh, you know, DSC's reporter Stephen Erity that was at the race having a chat with the Mark Focus guys and they have been told that the Australian GT Championship would welcome entry. Um, now that's you know very much more kind of sprint series. That would be a change, but interesting that people are seeing those possibilities of getting basically people onto grids. That's the game. Get people racing, and you know if they decide they want to kind of step up to a GT car at some point, then absolutely fine. But uh, get them in there, get them enjoying the their motorsport, and push on. And perhaps that's what we need a little bit more of. Um, you know, on the brick car side uh, in the UK, is some some accessible ways of actually getting into. The series but uh yeah it, it happened the winners did well the finishes all did well others did uh not a particularly uh you know great time of it it's not one i have to tell you that i'm sorry i missed um you know much as i don't like to watch a 24-hour race go by without me by track side um but i hope they can start some kind of recovery curve from here no, John. i agree um i think that's only the second of the full 24-hour races that I've missed there. We did all the first ones. Obviously, we broadcast them uh, on here. It wasn't to be uh, this year. Um, rather glossed over, by the way. I, I need to go back to the Nordschleife for a moment because um, the new Audi R8 um, wins uh, on virtual... Well, in fact, it was its race debut, wasn't it? It was its... No, no, hang on a bit. Did we have the... No, I thought one of them was at VLN1, wasn't there? Okay, yes, you're right. Uh, I'll just double-check, but certainly... Uh, we had two firsts for VLN2. It was a win for the Audi R8, the new car, in the hands of WRT, and pole position for the Bentley mm. on the Nordschleife. So, you know, uh, it's it's new cars all round, really, um, and it's going to be a pretty different-looking Nürburgring no- uh, no 24 hours but when you, I, and the rest of the crew rock up uh, in just a few weeks' time, John. Uh, yes, and we've got a touring car race uh, as well. All right, let's uh, let's get to this weekend because there's plenty, as we mentioned, uh, going on, necessitating three different channels of audio uh, provided to you for your listening pleasure by Radio Show Limited with IMSA Radio covering Continental Tyres and uh, all of the IMSA support races as well as the United Sports Car Championship with Shea Adam 
heading up the commentary, Jeremy Shaw and uh, Greg Kramer uh, doing the pit work for Shear. She'll be whipping them into shape as well. Uh, I also <laughs> Shear... I hope she's got a jumper. It's going to be quite chilly, apparently down in the 70s. That's in uh, That's 11 layers for Shay, isn't it? Yes. Um, also this weekend, of course, it's Johnny and Bruce doing the WEC uh, from Spa, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, and Johnny and Sam Collins will be doing the Japanese Super GT this weekend on Sunday morning at UK time, early hours. That's all on RadioLamont.com. And we've got some additional SCCA Mazda racing, the battery tender Mazda MX-5 racing from Laguna Sega. And that will be on our RSL Extra, uh, our third channel this weekend. So when you pull the player up, you'll have three choices. You're going to have to decide what you want to listen to uh, and then um, basically just catch up on the podcast on all the rest. Everything will be uh, archived. Graham and I, of course, are telebound for... Uh, Is it, that like being egg-bound? Yes. Um, <laughs> we are telebound this weekend. Although we are doing some Porsche Cup races as well, Graham. I, I'm, are we? Oh, yeah. good. Right, okay. I've got something. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to have a chat about that. Oh, right. <laughs> um, There's a man who had no I idea it was happening. I, I, there you go. I'm, I'm fully across it, John. It's, Trust me. It's, it's British Carrera Cup. It'll be fine. How hard can it be? Um, but uh, we're on telly duty. And for those of you in the States, by the way, check your listings because there's been a significant change. The start and the end of the race now on Fox Sports 1 with only the bit in the middle, quite a short bit in the middle as well, I think, an hour and a half or so uh, in the middle of that race. Maybe it's two and a half, actually, uh, on Fox Sports 2. So uh, start and end on Fox Sports 1 rather than the first half of the race on one and the second half of the race on the other. Uh, And, well, first of all, we've got to say we'll be seeing a new car this weekend. And I'm quite looking forward to it because the new Ligier Honda uh, of Tequila Petroni SM was shaken down very successfully, according to the team. I have had a quick chat with them uh, at Manicor earlier on this week, Graham. And, you know, this amazing story, which scarcely is believable, continues to surprise us. And they will have two new cars for Spa ready to go. Well, I mean, I, I feel the need to ask the collective a question here. And here's a good one for your uh, fuel forum. Has another team ever, uh, this early in the season, we are here still in April, of course, uh, <laughs> raced not just three different cars, but three pairs of different cars? Mm. Um, at this start, this kind of early on into a season. Well, in fairness, the ne- oh yes, they did race it. Yes, you're right. They, they did. did. They raced, they raced the, the uh, they raced the um, the uh, the HPD coupes. Then the, we've had the uh, HPD spiders, as I like to call them, and mm-hmm. now the Ligier Hondas. Um, extraordinary effort from Tequila Patron ESM, uh, and you know we wish them well. It's it's very very early days with new cars, but. Uh, you know, Elysia is a known quantity. Elysia Honda is indeed a known quantity. Mm. We've seen those cars run very well indeed. Uh, the original car is with Mike Shank now, of course, isn't it? In yep. uh, the United Sports Car Championship. So, you know, it's not a unique package, but uh, it will be interesting just how quickly the guys can get their heads around it. Also, should say, by the way, marks the WEC uh, debut for this season for Johannes Van Overbeck, of course, who missed yes. Silverstone Good with point. that rib injury and uh, was replaced by young whippersnapper David Brabham. That has proven for the moment to be uh, a one-off and uh, Johannes, a uh, very welcome addition to 
the driver lineup for this weekend. P2 looks pretty good because uh, once again there's a, a few extra cars for Spa. Uh, we've got the two G Drive Legia GSP2s, um, the beautiful cars. We've got the two Tequila Patron, the York Racing uh, cars, but also of course we've got Jota here this weekend with uh, Simon Dolan, Mitch Evans and Harry Tinknell doing their uh, what is now becoming traditional annual outing before Le Mans just to go and it seems to me kick the WEC guys up the backside. Yeah, I think Simon Dolan I think quite enjoyed my description of their annual prodding of the WEC bear. Very good. And uh, and I think you know the other thing to to note here is uh, not only does it mark Harry Tinkle coming back again, but that was unexpected, of course, the start of the season. But it marks the uh, LMP racing debut and therefore LMP2 racing debut of Mitch Evans. And that's going to be a very interesting uh, opportunity just to see how Mitch actually clicks with. You know, a well-known quantity in terms of the team and the car now. It's also going to be interesting to see just how well the Gibson does against all these shiny new coupes, isn't yeah. it? Uh, Mitch is on the short next week when... Ooh, can I give the other news or shall I just keep quiet? I'll keep quiet. Yeah, it's, it's not another exclusive, is it? It might just be another exclusive. But Mitch, well. Mitch Evans on the show uh, next week, so we'll have the uh, opportunity to uh, speak with him after the race and find out what his debut was like. We will also see another debut of a car for the season, and this is the remaining Team Sard Morand, uh, Morgan Evo, the... Uh, Pierre Rags, Ollie Webb, and Zoll Amberg car. Now, is that car going to be there? Well, believe so. Um, I believe so. I believe also that the team has been uh, looking around for further funding to actually enable the car to be at Le Mans. It's the latest information I have. But I wish them well, and I particularly wish the drivers well. That was a heavy blow to bear mm. uh, to be withdrawn from Silver. And have all your eggs in that basket. Should say, by the way, it is the race debut of the Morgan Evo. The mm-hmm. only other Morgan that's uh, racing at the moment is the Pegasus car, and that's not an Evo spec. But uh, and the car was pretty quick at the prologue. Uh, but let's wait and see um, with uh, the Sarperand racing team. It's been uh, not an easy um, one to kind of uh, understand, explain, or indeed report. And I know that Benoit Morand and his faithful cohorts will know they have got a lot to prove this weekend. Yeah. So, you know, they will be part. They're you know, 10% of a 10-car grid. Um, that's a big, you know, uh, uh, boost from the four cars we had through the season last year, John. Mm-hmm. And there's not terribly much by way of weak links in that lot either. Uh, what we're looking for from the, from the P2 uh, teams is what we didn't get at Silverstone, which was an epic race. It was the one yes. of the classes where perhaps the race itself... You know, it doesn't take away from the one-two performance of G-Drive, not at all. Um, but uh, we didn't have what I would describe as being an epic race, which is exactly what we did get in the other classes. Let's hope that the P2 guys can actually produce the goods this time. Uh, GTs, uh, there's not any extra... Am I right in saying there's not any extra entries? No, there is one. Oh, is there? Yeah, there's... uh, Before we go on, by the way, one thing uh, I've forgotten until just just this moment, I think you did too, is it's a welcome back to a WEC regular in P2 because with Nick Tandy, we'll Ah. talk about Nick Shaw in just a moment or two, uh, on P1 duty, uh, it's Nicola Lapierre is back uh, aboard the KCMG Oracle. So welcome back, Nick, and let's hope that he can finish that race with a smile on his face. A tricky few months for Nicholas. No, it has, uh, and he was smiling a lot at the prologue. And we had a chat with him. Didn't want to put him 
to air, um, but he. Uh, you could see the months of turning the world, but he, 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 he was enjoying it. He was, yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, extra GT car. XGT car in GTM, but before we get to GTM, we've got uh, some, a, a reshuffle yes. uh, across the board for Porsche. Mm-hmm. Um, Porsche uh, having to run three consecutive programs in exactly the same way as Radio Le Mans and Radio Show <laughs> Limited are this weekend. <laughs> uh, the number 91 car with an all-new squad. Uh, you know, I know you spoke at uh, the prologue, John to Sven Muller, yep. uh, one of the Porsche junior drivers. He'll be there sharing the car with none other than Kevin Estro. And I think that is going to be a pairing to watch. In the 92 car, uh, Richard Leitz, or Richard Leitz, moves across from 91 and joins Fred Makovicki as Patrick Pillay and uh, Michael Christensen are across in the Junior United Sports Car Championship aboard uh, 911 car in the case of Pillay and both cars in the case of Michael Christensen, which is something you might want to have a chat with, um, with Marshall about a little later. Uh, so that's Kevin Estre, McLaren GT driver, being loaned to Porsche. In the 97 Aston Martin, meanwhile, we've got Rob Bell, McLaren GT driver, being loaned yep. to Aston Martin. So that goes up to three-car squad, whilst the 95 Dame train comes down to a two-driver squad with Nicky Team on Carrera Cup Deutschland duty as he heads towards his aim of trying to nail down a DTM place. Ah, right. That's okay. what that's all about. The, the the additional car, by the way, is an AM car. It's the 55F Corsa car uh, for Duncan Cameron, uh, for the bloke that used to live around the corner from you and just on the chip shop, yep. and, uh, and for Alex Mortimer. That's going to be interesting to see how that one goes, I think. And again, this is a pre-Le Mans, uh, not shakedown, but just a little bit of extra drive time uh, for those guys. We expect the usual um, tomfoolery. Uh, no, actually, that's that's wrong. I'm I'm playing that down. We expect the usual excitement in GT Pro and GT, um, oh, yeah. and the weather at the moment hasn't made up its mind what it's going to be like at Spa. I even saw one weather forecast that had snow on it uh, for yep. the weekend. I spoke to Gerard Naveau uh, over the weekend. Uh, he was having some time off in the south of France and says there will be no snow. It has um, been, been, been decided. It's, yeah. there, there is a there is a, a, a memo out. Uh, there will be padinage uh, this. Weekend. In fact, John, as you said that, just up on my screen, God to the race director immediately. Yeah. God to the race director immediately. Yes. So that's, uh, that word is getting through. It's going to be a meeting nice. without coffee to God. Um, top of the shop is the P1s, of course, and uh, extra cars here of, uh, from uh, certainly from Audi, who are uh, putting their extra car in for a little bit of Le Mans uh, testing. This is will be Philippe Albuquerque, uh, Marco Bananomi, and Rene Rast. That's the uh, the number nine car. The seven and eight uh, there as well, of course. And Porsche have got the extra car, as you've mentioned. Nico Hulkenberg, Earl Bamba, there this weekend. Who uh, I must find some time to talk to. And Nick Tandy. The the, the Toyotas. Just with the two Toyotas, uh, the usual lineup: Davidson, Boemi, Kaznakajima, Vert, Sarazan, and Conway in the one and two. Team by Collis 
where are they going to find some performance from? Because if they didn't look um, particularly good at Silverstone, they're not going to look any better no. at Spa, I'm afraid. But the interesting thing for, for, for Spa is that at least one of the Audis uh, is in the Le Mans spec. And this is this has been something that that Audi have done year well, on well, year. Why is there a surprise about no, that? No, no, there's no, well, there's no surprise. As I said, Audi there's, have done this year on year. There's no thing on Autosport, always all secret scroll who's doing what? No, it's what they do every year. They have the two cars going over the championship. No, 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 in, I think, in, in fairness, in fairness, in fairness to Nick, the the issue was they weren't confirming which car it was or how many of them. And interestingly, um, it's the nine car. It's not the nine car. Yeah, you see, that's what the interest is. It's one of the full season entries, which I think is a bit of a surprise. All right, I'll take it back now. Mm. Well, the, the the point being is we we built. Well, I know because I've seen a picture that I can't print that the eight car in the garage at the moment is in what we'll call for the moment Monza spec because that's the spec in which it was tested without chicanes at Monza we've seen pictures of the nine car in Silverstone spec but the seven car we've not seen at all yet so the question I'd ask here John is well if you're going to run back to back for comparative data purposes um, and that would be the only reason to do it because by now they will know from their exceptionally accurate um, data systems what they predict that the car will do, I wouldn't bet against both the 7 and the 8 being in that spec. Really? Well, there seems nothing to lose from doing that. If the 8 car, as a full-season entry, is being, let's say, risked with the LM uh, spec, they, they must believe that car can be competitive. Otherwise, what's the point? Uh, so my guess would be that the 9 car is being run well, with the higher downforce, because that's the safer option with the less experienced drivers at Spa. But if you're going to get your your data correct, that's the car you do it with. What is the downside of putting the seven car in Monza spec as well? Well, if it rains and the twiddly bits, you can't get round it. That would if be it rains at Spa, it's never been known to rain. Yeah, though, surely. point well made, nicely presented. I, I'm looking at Nick. I Nick just is... think that's completely befuddled thinking. I know it's not something you say. I, I enjoy befuddling people, but it's good. Not yours, I'm saying that if Audi do that, it's completely befuddled thinking because they must have learned that there are two things they're going for now. There's a world championship that they don't have. Yep. Right now. Which they have two major challenges for. They can't go throwing potential points away on testing when you've got a blooming test car there. Particularly when they're after the manufacturer's yeah. championship and, I, and not the driver's championship. I do realise also that Spa is less punishing on running at Le Mans spec than any other circuit would be. And the differences are not great. Often the differences are actually down the tyre wear more than anything else. Ooh, I don't. That middle section, honestly, when it's no, been done in the past, from, from the top yeah, of the hill down you gain, to Blanchimont. You gain in section one and section three and lose in section two. Mm. That's why Red Bull were always super fast in section two and everyone else was fast in section one, but they were so good with the twisted bits, it made up for it. Um, but I say the tyre wear is an interesting point because obviously you know, lower downforce tends mm. to mean more tyre wear. It would seem to me that you know, what it, it, it would make no sense to me if Audi actually want to win the World Championship when they know that their best tracks are just gone and this one mm. and they're going to face a much more serious threat in the five races post Le Mans from the two, uh, certainly from Porsche, you think, make, get the points where you can. If you want to do testing, do it. Do testing, yes, with your number nine car, and do testing, yes, at Monza. Okay, so well, would can you... I cut, cut off you an alternative yeah, go uh, for it. here, which is, we don't know um, just how much of a compromise this uh, spec is going to be at Spa. Good point. And the fact that it is on the number eight car, not the number nine car, tends to indicate, doesn't it, that it's probably rather closer 
um, to being the you know the optimum than perhaps the the specs we've seen in the past. I think this could be very interesting. Me too. Indeed. We saw we saw what a flanker they pulled on the rest of the field at Silverstone in terms of the handling of that car. They've got grip to spare. Yeah, they've got um, downforce to give. Yes, they have, and I just wonder whether or not they found something here. They've got downforce to give because they've got power to give. Nick, what would you do then? Would you run the seven and eight in standard Silverstone, the same spec as the run at Silverstone, well, and the nine in the trimmed slightly out from Silverstone, but yes, with a with a downforce generating body shell less trimmed, and then they run the nine in full, full Le Mans, Le Mans spec. But as the point that Graham just raised, if they have really developed the uh, aero particularly well, then possibly that compromise is now not where it was. And don't forget, they've got twice as much hybrid power than they had last yeah. year. So a, the they've got downforce to give away. Yeah. The other alternative, by the way, Japs, is that they could be completely befuddling everybody and overnight uh, between <laughs> Wednesday and Thursday, they could just swap the stickers over and run the Niners there. The, 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 no. You know, it's... There's anything could happen. Uh, anything could happen. One thing that I am prepared to say is that Porsche will be on pole position. Yes, I think that's probably... If it doesn't rain. Uh, yes, good point, Nick. Thank you. Yep. Thank you for saving me. Which you have in Spa a pretty much, what, 80% chance? I think, I think you know, for, for me, there's two things to say about Porsche. Utterly delighted they're bringing the third car there. I think that's yes, going to be an great. absolutely fascinating combination between the rather more known quantity of Nick Tandy, who will be super quick... There can be zero doubt that Obamba will be quick because otherwise, let's face it, why would they have selected him over Fred McAvicki, uh, who was most certainly the other man in the, in the mix here, mm-hmm. and Nico Hulkenberg with you know a switch to sports cars, which I am here to say to you guys that uh, you know if uh, I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see that become permanent in the year or two's time. I think he's another guy that is just ripe for, you know... Uh, coming along to a WC that's on the up at the moment if things don't turn his way in, in F1. That, I think, is is, uh, is a very interesting move. I think the response of the team will be interesting after what must rank as a disappointment at Silverstone. Uh, though I do tend to wonder whether or not Audi would have dealt as well with two fully healthy Porsches as they did with one. Uh, but the, the disappointment for me is we've got three white cars, and I wish they hadn't done that. Yeah, but the the, the interesting thing for me, just to round this up in 90 seconds, and it seems a shame to do this to Toyota, I think this is... Toyota is the all-rounder in the pack here. This is a car that's built to win a championship as well as building a car to win Le Mans. And I think that Spa is the perfect track for Toyota, mm-hmm. um, I think it is the the track that is best suited to their compromises, and I use that word, and I don't really mean that because these cars are so little compromised nowadays. But I, I do think that the Toyota TSO forty in its current iteration, with the ultimate uh, version of the supercapacitor hybrid and the reworked engine and everything else, I think this is their best circuit, Graham. Um. I agree. I'm not going to talk about compromise. I'm going to talk about solutions. Their yes. solution there you go. to the uh, to the problem. Thank you. I think you know. Oddly enough, John, you've come around quite neatly to my conclusion, which is that I think we're going to see a not dissimilar race. I think uh, Toyota are going to be very much in the mix, and I would be very disappointed indeed if we didn't see them very close at the end. And I think they might take it. Mm. Um, I think it could be uh, uh, another. It could be another extraordinary race. We talked about this before. Silverstone, and boy, did that develop just an extraordinary six hours. Yeah, Graham, uh, 
Well, here we go. Can I say something? Yeah, you may. I think Hulkenberg will do the fastest individual lap in a in a Porsche. Do you? He is much better Mighty. than anyone thinks he is. Okay. He knows the track. He's done some testing. Hulkenberg should, is the one driver who genuinely deserves to be in a top F1 driver and hasn't got one. Mm. And well, he's very, very good. And don't forget we did a one GP. We need very little. Um, thank you, Graham. I'm going to let you get away uh, and remind everyone that if you are going to follow the WEC at Spa, obviously DSC Race Live, dailysportscar.com and uh, here on RadioLeMond.com for the race with Johnny and Bruce on Saturday. Remember, it's a three-day meeting, free practice one and two on Thursday, free practice three and qualifying on Friday. We'll have qualifying for TV. Qualifying late, so you can see it when you get home. Very late, actually. into dark, actually, Into the gloaming, yes, absolutely. And then the race on Saturday. Check local listings for details. Graham, I'll, uh, I'll see you in the Ardennes, mate. <laughs> you most certainly will, mate. So it's going to be waffles and beer. <laughs> Waffling. There's always plenty of waffling. waffles for me. Oh, thank, yes. <laughs> thank you. Graham Goodwin, editor of dailysportscar.com, joining us here on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport. And if you thought that hour was packed with insights and comments, wait till you hear what's next. So the first hour is done and done. And in hour number two, Nick Damon, who is still with us, will be talking two wheels with some significant news ahead of the Spanish Grand Prix in Jerez at the weekend uh, we'll also be talking to racer.com's Marshall Pruitt as he looks back on a splendid weekend of racing at Barber and we'll talk through the ramifications of that and hopefully we'll be previewing a weekend that's just as good as he talks sports car racing too uh, and that is in the shape of IMSA and the Chile United Sports Car Championship with Continental Tyres as well that's at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca all that plus next it's DTM, Adrian Tombe and Jamie Green joining us here on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. It's Midweek Motorsport Series 10, Episode 18. I'm John Hindoff. Nick's just popped off for a bit of dessert, but that's all right because for the next little bit, we're going to do something that we've not done before here on Midweek Motorsport, and that's look uh, in a little bit of detail at DTM, which starts its 2015 season this weekend at the Hockenheim Ring. Last Wednesday, actually, just before we did the show, I was down at West London at an Audi event and a couple of their DTM drivers were there, so I took the opportunity to speak with Jamie Green and Adrian Tombay just to get an idea about what the season might hold for them. Let's start with Adrian Tombay, a very famous name in motor racing, of course. But before we started talking about this season, I thought it would be a good idea to find out how he got to where he is right now, an Audi works driver in DTM. Yeah, uh, basically I started uh, doing DTM in 2012. I started uh, uh, this, um, this as a professional uh, race driver with, with Audi then. Um, before I, I was doing the same than all the, the young drivers. I'm still not, I'm not too old, but uh, <laughs> I, I did all the open wheel later, let's say until uh, GP2, uh, until before F1. And then I uh, had no, no sponsorship, uh, not enough sponsorship to get to a Formula One. So I had to find uh, an alternative uh, and a, a nice one. Uh, I was quite lucky to, uh, to meet Dr. Eric and, and go through the, all the selections and, and stuff. And then finally I got the, the seat and I'm, I'm living the, I've been living the dream for the past three years, actually. So, yeah. 
DTM cars, not the easiest cars for people to get on with. Some very good drivers uh, who have been very successful in other formula have not been successful in, in DTM just because the way the cars drive and the, the way the setup works. Yeah, I think it's quite uh, it's quite easy to overdrive the the car a little bit. That, that's why uh, maybe some some former F1 drivers come to the championship and and kind of struggle a, li- a little bit. Uh, and the, the the other thing is that it's so competitive and so uh, on the limit in in terms of um, of lap time um, tightness. Mm-hmm. Um, that at the end of the day, if you if you get excited a little bit too much or if you <laughs> you know what I mean, if you if you overdrive it a little bit, you you very easily lose one or two tenths, which is in DTM way too too big. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's about... Uh, to be honest, I didn't struggle a lot to, to understand the car uh, because probably it was um, very similar to a, to a World Series by Renault car, uh, in just heavier uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and a little bit uh, more downforce. But at the end of the day... It's still it's it's still not a touring car for me. It's yeah. um, it's very high downforce, so uh, I drive it the same way than an open wheel. Yeah, an open wheeler with bodywork and a roof. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I understand. Um, tell me about the 2015 Audi. Then, how much of a change is it from last year's car? Actually, no no change. Uh, the regulation frees uh, frees the car. Um, so at the end of the day, it's just about uh, exploring maybe new uh, philosophy of setup uh, or sticking to, to the one you, you were happy with. Um, to be honest, um, it's just about, for me, getting uh, to grip with my new engineer. That's the major, major change for me this year. And uh, yeah, with a very few testings. So at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's not easy, but uh, we get over it. You talk about how tight it is, particularly in qualifying and, in fact, in, in race lap times as well, where a tenth or even a half a tenth is actually a lot of time. So being quick straight off the truck and getting the car set up correct is absolutely key, isn't it? Yeah, uh, basically, it's really uh, you have to start the weekend with a good base. Um, if you're not ready, uh, you probably lose the train. Uh, you don't catch the train. Uh, and then the whole weekend is probably going to be difficult for you but this year it changes a little bit because you have two races so you might have maybe one day more to uh, to make a result out of the weekend because you have uh, the second race second chance with second qualifying but at the end of the day if you want to win the championship you should also be ready for the first race and the first quality mandatory pit stops of course uh, and a drs system in dtm for those who don't know how much tactically do you discuss that with the team or is it just a case of right we'll go to this lap and that's it we will not change our our plans no i mean uh, for, for for this year we have to still to sit down uh, actually next week beginning of the week to 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 speak about what, what we're going to do but in the past um we had clearly like i had to uh, to speak a lot with the engineers before and make plan a, a plan b plan c <laughs> and then like yeah from this lap on uh we should do this from this lap on. If there was a safety car, we should do this. If there was no safety car, we should do that. Uh, it's a lot of, uh, really a lot of possibilities and a lot of ta- tactics and, and strategy possible in the overall when there was, was option tires and standard tires. Mm. Today is a little bit more clear also for people uh, watching it, which is important. Uh, but still, uh, a lot of stuff you can, you can lose a lot if you have the, the wrong strategy. Is that slightly frustrating for you as a young driver, any racing driver, wants to drive flat out? 
all the time to the absolute limit of the car. So does all this tactical talk slightly frustrate you? Actually not, you know, because I, 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 love, the, I love the fact that uh, motorsport is not only a sport. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's, also, it's also very uh, tactical and very... Uh, you need to have a brain. If you don't have a brain, you, you won't succeed at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, being on holidays all the time is it's not enough. You need to work <laughs> a little bit. No, I mean, I mean I'm, really, I'm really happy when, when I have to to sort things out with the engineers and work on, uh, on all different stuff uh, at the end of the day it's what make you make you grow the other thing about DTM that I think from a spectator point of view is uh, something that draws people in is the variety of circuits that you go to and some great tracks some classic tracks mm. as well that's not changing so much for this year again very similar calendar to last year do you have any favorites do you have any tracks that you like more than others and do you have any that perhaps you don't like as much as others yeah there is clearly one i don't like as much as the others i'm going to be open it's a lousy ring um i'm not a fan of the place and i'm also not a fan of the of the track itself so it makes everything at the same place you know <laughs> this, this one uh, and why is that what is it that you just don't get on with the track or the layout or I, I don't know. The, the track is too wide for me. It's too. I, there are too many possibilities of lines, and uh, and sometimes I get lost. No, to be honest, uh, <laughs> it's very twisty in the infield, and a lot of sections, a couple of sections that look very similar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's the fact that those uh, right, left, uh, piff puff, how you call it. I, mm. I don't know. It's a little bit. Uh, for me, it's a little bit too easy, but too but too difficult. Mm. You know what I mean? It's. Uh, it's very tight there always, and um, I've been quite good in the past in, in qualifying actually, but in the race, uh, in DTM, I've never because I've had good races in the three years on every tracks, but just not uh, lousy. So that's why maybe I don't like it. You know, racing drivers we like where we are, like we are good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I, if you ask me about uh, my favorite, I'm gonna say uh, Okenheim because of the results, mm-hmm. because of the pole position and the podium last year, and because also of the family background. Yeah, uh, and uh, and Zandvoort, as uh, Zandvoort for me is the is the best uh, is the best track we have um, for a driver in terms of feeling. I like quick quick tracks and, and quick corners. So for me, going up and down into the into the dunes, I mean, it's really nice. How much is the family involved uh, with your career now? Obviously, in early years, um, there was a lot of uh, focus and spotlight on you because of your your name. People have become. I kind of accepted that now. Does that make life a, a little easier for you? Yeah, you know, since uh, since I joined the Audi, I think I've made a step in terms of uh, yeah, instead of in, in terms of sorry, uh, having a, a first name. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not uh, pa- Patrick's son. I imagine uh, I am Patrick's son as well. But at the end of the day, uh, he, has, he has supported me quite a lot until that point. Uh, now I'm doing my job, and I think I've. I've had a lot of advices and enough to to build myself, um, but to be honest with you, it's more uh, let's say father's advices. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I use them uh, much more out of the car uh, than in the car, but they are even more important sometimes. Uh, and um, no, uh, without him, I would not be here. And uh, I think he's also really proud of what I've done so far and trying to to do to do my best to. Uh, to bring the name again where it has to be. 
And tell me about 2015 then. What are your hopes? What are your expectations for DTM in 2015? Coming off some decent results last year, as you mentioned. Yeah, um, I think my aim is to is to build on from from last year and results uh, in terms of pace. Actually, I I'm, I would like to start like I was uh, last year uh, and get a little bit more lucky because at the end of the day, if I was uh, lucky last year, it would have been totally different, I guess. Uh, so just keep on working, keep on doing it race by race and um, focusing on, on the one lap pace to be in front of in quali because it's going to be really important this year with a different uh, with different uh, layout of the weekend, let's say it like this. Uh, and um, yeah, just do my best. And as far as I do my best, I, I know I can do it. Uh, then after the, you know, the external stuff, I cannot uh, control. So mm-hmm. I'll do my best. Adrian Tombe talked to me last Wednesday at an Audi event in West London about his prospects for the 2015 DTM season, which kicks off this weekend at the Hockenheim Ring. Now, also in attendance was Jamie Green. The Leicester Shaman had a rather up-and-down season last year, and the results certainly didn't go his way. But the former champion still showed plenty of pace. Well, last year I was pretty quick most of the time but didn't win any races so the main thing I want to achieve is to win a race for Audi which I haven't done in DTM yet but last year I was uh, the the best Audi qualifier on average and the second best qualifier in the whole championship behind uh, the champion Marco Whitman so there's some potential there and some good speed within me and the car uh, it was my first year with Team Rosberg which sort of got better and better through the year so the second half of the year we were running at the front consistently and uh, I think that all bodes well for this year. Was it slightly frustrating for you last year, Jamie, not to have got the the wins that your pace and your qualifying performance actually, you know, merited? Yeah, very frustrating, especially in these in these bizarre situations when I mean, Oschersleben, it was wet. I was leading by miles and the safety car came out like three times whilst I was in the lead. And then, you know, you pull away by another 10 seconds or whatever and then another safety car. And the guy who won the race was nowhere. It was Mm. just complete fluke, you know, that he was on rain tyres and had done his stops. And it's so complicated, I can't even explain it now. (laughs) But, and I think the guy who won, you know, the three guys on the podium were kind of scratching their heads thinking, how did we end up here, you know? It was such a bizarre situation with with the, the safety car and not being allowed to pit. So... Oh, there's another thing where you had to pit within... Your, your mandatory pit stop had to be in the pit window, which is the middle third of the race, which throws in a whole other host of problems, depending on if it's wet, dry, or changing. So anyway, that was a nightmare for me. And so you kind of come away sort of so bemused that you have to laugh because you're just like, what happened there? Mm. Well, what happened was I was miles faster than everyone, mm. but got nothing. And you kind of think, well, I'd rather have the pace... Yes. and not the look, then yes. never have any pace, you know, and think, well, okay, the results aren't good enough because I'm not fast enough. Mm. The results weren't good enough for other reasons, not not because I didn't have the ability or the, or the car underneath me to, to go quick enough. So I'd rather have the pace because that always gives you hope f- for the future. The 
relationship with the team and with the engineer in DTM, in any form of motorsport, it's important. In DTM, crucial. Yeah. We are talking fractions of a second yeah. between front of the grid and not middle of the pack, but back of the pack. Mm. Half a millimetre in ride height can affect the balance of the car. They've got so much downforce, they're just incredibly sensitive. So you need people measuring the car that you trust, you know, because mm-hmm. even if it says 59.5 on the setup sheet, it needs to be in. it needs to be exactly that on the flat patch. So... There's so many little details that make a difference in with these cars. Obviously, the driver's one of them, but if you don't have a good engineer sorting your car out, listening to your comments, making the right decisions, then you, you, know, you won't be competitive. I think it's a different ball game this year because we've got 18 races instead of 10. Uh, we've only got one tyre compound, which is the hard tyre. Last year, we had a soft tyre as well. So it's a complete different balancing act this year but we've got the same car the, the the technical side of things has been restricted over the winter so there's very little you can do on development stuff but we've optimized our setup and i think we've improved from last year and um basically i need to just get to the checkered flag in one piece this year last year <laughs> last year i was off the road a number of times when you know i was in in a good position to win a race and because of the tire situation if you ran the quicker tire at the beginning of a race and the safety car came out you lost all of your advantage because mm. you're not allowed to pit under the safety car mm-hmm. in dtm at the moment and that screwed me over a couple of times last year where i was way up the road yeah. leading by 15 seconds and then the safety car came out and the chaps who were about to put their soft tires on are all right behind you but laughing. but they've got tires on the car which are two seconds a lap quicker you know for yeah. the for the second half of the race and you're all bunched up so that whole advantage had gone and that happened to me twice actually what i need to do better there's is not it's not as bad as it looked mm-hmm. in terms of results last year if you analyze what happened so there, obviously there was a couple of races where i made errors and stuff but i think overall i just need to keep doing what i'm doing and uh, the rules this year i think will be a bit more straightforward and a bit more fair so when the safety car comes out, it'll have less impact on your result this year. Our cars weigh over a thousand kilos, so it's going to degrade the tyre, and it's about how good you are at sort of dealing with that. If you've got tyres that degrade, mm-hmm. that dictates the strategy. Yeah. That dictates when you pit. Yeah. So then you don't need a pit window yeah. to say you have to do your pit stop in this period. So if you had tyres that degraded, then that would dictate the strategy. And it would be easier to understand. And it would also reward people and cars that were lighter on the tyres, which is, I think, never a bad thing. Exactly, yeah. I think that's, that should be an element of a race, you know, and a race is one hour long. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just about sprinting, you know, for an hour. But we've gone back to a tyre which is kind of bulletproof. The standard tyre is, is, is a pretty hard tyre, pretty safe. So you're not going to have that degradation, right. not extreme. So to do a 40-minute race on one set is is very doable, mm-hmm. depending on the circuit. Um, so in that regard, I think we've we've kind of maybe simplified things too much. Maybe we should have had the soft tyre as our standard tyre. Yeah. But there we go. I don't make those decisions. Two races each event weekend now. Yeah. Also, does that mean that we're likely to see a bit less rough and tumble in the first race, or is there enough time to get the car fixed if it all goes horribly wrong? 
uh, there is enough time to get them fixed, but it's certainly not something you want to be asking your mechanics to do on a regular basis. And you know, the, you get the same amount of points for both races. So if you're in the wall in the first race, that's 25 points yeah. that, that could have been uh, that have gone. So yeah, like any championship, you need to be scoring regularly. But there are more chances to score. So if you have a bad one, yeah. you know, on Sunday morning, it's a new qualifying session. It's a new chance. So, you know, even if you have an absolute nightmare on Saturday, you can still win on Sunday. And I quite like the fact that it's like you press that reset button for Sunday, mm. whatever happened on Saturday. So I think it's going to be quite good fun, actually. And I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, there's a warm up, I think, of about 15 minutes. Mm. So if you've had an incident or the cars have been pulled apart, then you can shake it down and, and run the car in the in the warm up. And then you've got your your 20 minute qualifying session, mm. which in itself is going to be mad entertaining yeah <laughs> interesting all, all call the cars out at once aren't there 24 that's, cars out at once that's the issue yeah there's going to be 20 odd cars out all on new tires looking for a clear lap <laughs> which uh, some of the short tracks is, isn't isn't going to be there first round of the season coming up tell me about the track Hockenheim is the home of DTM so it's a bit like the Silverstone of British racing so it's always cool to, to, to be there whether it's the first race of the season or the last race of the season that's part of DTM and yeah we just need a solid start you know I don't need to win both races but just to be just to be competitive and get some points on the bo- on the board at those first two races would be would be enough yeah a circuit that you like? yeah um yeah, I've won races there in DTM and in Formula 3, so yeah, I, I think I'd go relatively well there. It's a bit like home for us, you know, I've mm. done 10, 10 seasons of DTM, so I've raced at Hockenheim quite a lot. So yeah, I know the track well, and Audi won there at the last race, end of last year. I think I led for 40-odd laps out of 50, so uh, yeah, should be good. Is there a track that you perhaps don't like as much uh, as the others or one that you're particularly looking forward to uh, come the the rest of the season are they all pretty much a, just a challenge that you've got to get through I think I could say the same both of those things probably apply to Zandvoort for me because in DTM I've never finished on the podium at Zandvoort but I, I love the prospect of going there especially like qualifying on low fuel new tyres there's some proper man's corners to be had there and now our cars have got so much downforce, it's, it's ridiculous. So some of those quick corners out the back are proper balls on the dashboard mm-hmm. job. And uh, that's pretty good fun, to be, to be honest. Um, I think it's a bit more of an old school racetrack and uh, some quick old blind corners where you need to keep your foot in and hold on. So it's, I enjoy that. Um, so it'd be nice. Uh, that'd be a very satisfying race to win. Do you miss not coming to the UK, as has been in, in previous years? I do. I mean, as a Brit, DTM is a, is, it's a very German championship, and I can speak a bit of German, so I feel relatively part of the, of the whole operation. But I kind of wish that we could somehow get the UK more behind it. Mm. And I think that starts with TV coverage and a race in the UK and hopefully some interesting British characters that are able to win in DTM so I think with myself Gary Paffitt, Paul DeResta we've got some talent in there 
but we really need to be racing here mm. um, I'd love to race at Donington I think I think that's a cool track I think it's the right sort of size for DTM that just happens to be in the county where I was born as well so <laughs> I think I've got a little bit of a dream in my mind there about racing DTM and winning at Donington but I think for the championship it'd be good I mean the UK market is a big market for for, for Audi BMW and Mercedes so we, we should uh, you know we should be racing here Obviously, you know, Audi have put together another great squad for the A5 DTM car this year. Uh, your teammates, you know, your Audi teammates, generally speaking, you expect those to be there or thereabouts. What about the, the rest of the field? I think you can never count anybody out because, for example, who would have predicted that Marco Whitman would win the championship last year? You know, a young German kid that most people, I think, in the UK would have not really heard of. Um, so who knows I mean that's the thing about DTM it's a weird championship sometimes you get guys for example Martin Tomczyk won the championship when he was demoted to an old spec car Mm -hmm. and then that first year in the old spec car he wins the championship you know Bruno Spengler moves to BMW after trying to win the championship with Mercedes for a long time and wins the championship first year with BMW the last couple of years he's not even been close Mm -hmm. so to predict who's going to be competitive and who's going to have that championship and it's not like any of these guys have forgotten how to drive or all of a sudden discovered how to drive either. That's the thing, and that's what I said earlier about that half a mil of ride height. You, you, it doesn't matter how good you are, it's the whole package. It's how good your engineer is, how good the car is, and, and getting it all together consistently over the year, better than everyone else. That's, that's how you win in DTM. So to predict that's quite tough, but I, I'm confident that I can do it. And I'm confident that we've got a good car. So, and it's that first year of working with the same people again. So I feel like there shouldn't be too many surprises and we should be able to be consistently in the top six. And if I do that, then I, I could be the champion. Radio Lamont.com. So at DTM, Nick, are you, uh, you a fan? Uh, I'm more of a fan now they've gone from two pit stops to one. But I still think it's an awful lot of money on something that's not really relevant nor interesting and parochial. But I like what Jamie was saying about using, they should have used the softer tyres so that there would have been an imperative to change the tyre rather than the harder tyre which can do the whole race and therefore there's no tactical advantage in looking after your tyres. I, I like that. Yes, I I, I think it's, it's slowly getting better but I still think the money could be better spent elsewhere. Uh, and they've still got the Formula 1 style pass flaps as well, haven't they? <laughs> What did you say? Pass flaps? <laughs> so, um, this uh, this weekend, where will you be? Uh, Alan's. Oh, yes, you're going to the... Uh, mm. yes, yes. Race night, but that's a horse race night. Horse race night, yes, absolutely. Crooked bullet at... Mm-hmm. Uh, Newton Longville. Newton um, Longville. Should, uh, the, ra- the race starts UK half past one, and he promised me the first race is into quarter to eight. Okay, so perfect timing. Yeah. And uh, you could always take... Um, Johnny and Bruce on your phone as well, I suppose, when you're listening. No, I'm fine. I can, I can link them up. Uh, Marshall Pruitt still to come on tonight's programme, but before that, uh, let's have a bit of two-wheeled news. And well, you are the two-wheel expert with your Italian superbike commentary. Oh, man, it was great. Did you see any of it? I saw quite a bit of it, actually, yes. The Northeastern uh, Team Northeast. Yeah, Team Northeast. Um I saw the race where second, third, and fourth all took each other out, and then we didn't get a replay, which is irritating. Jack was very, Jack Burnicle was very, very uh, irritated by that. I have to say that Jack, I think a number of people know this, that Jack comes from Billingham, I come from Sunderland, up in the northeast. Jack was the first person 
with a northeast accent I heard commentating on motorsport and television. Uh, and Jack, um, I had a long chat How with Jack. How old is he, don't we ask him? I, I've never met him. I, um, he's probably a bit older than me and you. A bit older? Yes. Oh, yeah, a bit. Uh, yeah, maybe six or seven years older. Okay. Um, but he only started commentating relatively late in life. He'd uh, he'd done design and art and all sort of other stuff first. Um, so it was it was quite late in life. And he admitted to me, he doesn't ride a motorcycle. Which is amazing that he understands it so well. Well, that's shocking. Mm. I just don't know what to say now. Um, okay, let's uh, go through a couple of bits and pieces. Um, who is all or nothing according to whom? Well, that would be a uh, follow-up to last weekend's Argentinian Grand Prix. Uh, mm. For motorcycles, of course. Uh, mm. MotoGP. And there is a MotoGP this weekend in Spain. Because what's happened now is after a few weeks of Grand Prix and motorcycles being on the same weekend but different time zones, they're both into Europe, so we won't get them on the same weekend again. Okay. Because right. they'll clash. Right. So it's Spain this weekend for the motorcycles. First, about 11-3 visits to Spain, of course, the motorcycles make. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as we said before, the week after, it is um, the Barcelona Grand Prix. But, yes, it's all big, big bike news, isn't it? I'm sorry, to answer your question, it was Valentino Rossi talking about Mark Marquez and the, and the penultimate lap incident they had. Uh, and this is very interesting because somebody on the forum said, um, dare I ask this, uh, but... Is Marquez cracking under pressure? No. And the answer mostly was no, but he did make a mistake. It's and following on from that... He had a practice crash. Yes. But the interesting thing about Mark Marquez is he is absolutely brilliant. And he is still probably, even though Rossi is, is schooling him a bit in American terms at the moment, he is still, you know, being 22, the best rider there. Rossi, Rossi's 36 and is a phenomenon. And he certainly has managed to win back his, his GOAT title, which he was in danger of tarnishing with his two years <laughs> Ducati. However, what he's done now at the age he is is quite ridiculous, and he's completely destroyed How long has he Lorenzo. Got left? He doesn't go to a forty. I think it's injury based. It really, in motorcycle, it's injury based. Mm. I mean, he could definitely, and this is no, never what this happened. He could have a high side tomorrow, and that would be it. Mm. I mean, that happened to Fogarty. It happened to James Toes, and they both had one crash, too many in the wrong place, and it just took their career. But away. you know, it's somebody that we were talking about the weekend, Frankie Keeley, whose oh. son was racing at the he weekend. Went for years, Frankie, about forty-three. Oh, he was my hero for so long. Such uh, a stylish rider. But yeah. But yeah. anyway, so he fell off. Marquez. Fell Marquez off has fallen off a lot at every race last year, but he always fell off in first practice yep. or warm-up and he fell off in that way he fell off after the, after the Rossi result. he falls off he slides on his bottom gets up again and runs after the bike which is quite surprising to me whenever I fall off a bike I've been sitting in shock even when I haven't been hurt I've been going almost exactly those words uh, but he fell off in a bike accident but um, this sort of, he had a bike accident that would be described by one Pablo Montoya as a tennis accident Oh. It was a dirt bike accident. Oh, he wasn't meant... Oh. No, he was dirt bike training. I, right. don't, I don't know why they dirt bike No, it's, be, it's because the bikes are moving around. It's all it's about It's very balance. good for physical strength, but it's yeah. so risky when you come off. Talk, let's talk about Kevin Schwantz, when you talk mm. about dirt biking. And he came off, and he busted his finger, which is... I think he quite... Which hand? Left... Uh, little finger of... Don't know which hand, sorry. Is it left hand? If it's left hand, it's clutch, but you don't use that. You don't use left one or Left hand's hanging on. Yeah, right hand. I'm pretty certain they're, they're probably clutches up and down now on this sequential box. You'll need it at the start and that's it. Okay. But anyway, he's he's busted and it's had to be um and it's had to be repinned and put together to detain him in there and it's all swollen and unpleasant. And he has been cleared to race at Hereth, but he will be 
you know, you, you have a limited movement. It's going to be, I'm sure they'll neutralise the pain. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, a warning to him because he has got away with falling off a lot. Mm. And as he gets older, as you rightly say, you don't bounce. No. Um, obviously, they're back. They bounce more than they used to. Yeah, but um, yeah. So it's it's a little, a little chink. I think I think he's just. I think what he's doing is after making last year really boring by winning all the starting race, he's giving everyone else a lead. He can catch up. Well, he's giving them a start this year. Second half of the season. Danny Pedrosa not back yet off his arm pump. Arm pump. So the Repsol Honda team was very close to having no racing, uh, no team at all there, mm. and certainly no Spaniards. But Marquez now will be taking place at this part this weekend, and knowing this, he will use his spur to win. Who's who's riding for Pedrosa? Uh, it's Ayama, isn't it? Right, okay. Same, test, same as... Test rider, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's staying in. Um, and uh, Jerez, traditionally a place where obviously he goes very well, but it's also a place that Valley goes very well Yeah, as I mean, well. it's it's not a... It is a... You get the kind of the oomph from being at home. The Spanish, it is the Spanish Grand Prix. Obviously, they mm. had the Catalan Grand Prix and then the, the Grand Prix of Aragon, which is just because they want to have a third race there. Um, so, yeah, this is the one with Spanish want to win. The Spanish obviously have a massive axis of power within... Um, GP, and you know you would be surprised if Marquez didn't even with a very sore finger didn't do particularly well but Valentino Rossi has won many times before was the home of the race where he completely destroyed Sete Gibernau yes. he completely destroyed a man's mind forever yes. with and one move effectively ended his career yeah. in terms of his mm. confidence yeah in one move and what year was that? Oh, it's a long time ago. 2002? Was it that long ago? I remember that like it was um, yesterday the collective will tell me what year it was but it was, it was just one of those I know it's a, it's a minority sport, but one of those seminal moments in the sport no, where a man I agree. who had been his, a pain in his backside, and even much more so than Max Biaggi, who liked to talk himself up but was nothing like as good as he thought he was. In fact, he were, that would have been impossible, actually. Um, <laughs> but he just took out a man in one race, just destroyed him, as you said, completely for the rest of his career. Gibernau never recovered from that, no, from, never, a, from never, a confidence level. Never back to where he should have been. No, no I agree. I agree. So that'll be a cracker then. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've, I would, you know, let me get it quite, quite, quite quick. I, there's nothing I want to see more than a fit Marquez going after a fit Rossi. Because mm. um, I think that, you know, the, the Marquez has a little bit of an edge. The Honda's still the best bike, though, isn't it? But Rossi has that experience and guile. I agree. And he can qualify nowhere. And he he is the best racer. He's not necessarily the fastest or the best qualifier, but when it comes to, you know, if you want to have who you're going to put in the race for, and you go have back, back Valentino. Is Suzuki going to be the wild card with uh, Asparagus? Well, they massively improved, didn't yes, they? Yes, exactly. Argentina, now, whether that was a, a, a byproduct of the weird tyre environment and the weird fact mm. that they ha- they're still on the claiming team, um, I don't know, but you know, they're, they're coming along in leaps and bounds. I th- I'm pretty sure that if they could scrape a podium this year, they'd be chuffed a bit, in fairness. Um, Ducati, of course, are going to start suffering from their success soon mm-hmm. with the various rules. And I'm not sure where they've lost the tyre yet. I think they get, that's probably a couple more podiums away. But they've driving up. just on a rim isn't yes. this much fun. Sorry, the soft tyre, good point. Uh, I think they've, they've had four podiums. I, think, I can't remember how many podiums it is before you... They've already lost two litres of fuel and they'll lose the podium, the tyres, after a few more podiums. It's to make up for this idea of a, a works team being a claiming team. Uh, once you get your acting, your acting gear, you have to go and play with it properly on a level playing field. Not not a bad idea, but this year's UK is actually quite good and doesn't need the help, if we're honest. Mm, mm. Right, looking forward uh, to 
that you're listening to Midweek Motorsport it's series uh, 10 episode 18 already busy weekend coming up as we've mentioned check the front page uh, and of course the player for the different options from America from Spa uh, and uh, in fact two different streams from America because the uh, IMSA stream and the SCCA um, battery tender Mazda race on two different streams uh, over the weekend plenty to see and do and it is to America that we will go next as we say good evening from uh, I guess he's still at home <laughs> at the moment we never know uh, to racer.com's Marshall Pruitt good evening Marshall good evening Heidi and where do we find and where do we find you this week then well, you find me in lovely Northern California getting ready for some Tudor United Sports Car Championship action at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. Which we will talk about because it's part of this mentally busy sports car and endurance weekend that we're covering here uh, on IMSA Radio, RadioLamont.com, and uh, I think we've got three different channels we're firing up this weekend. But I want to very quickly whip back. Uh, in time to uh, last weekend and an absolute barnstormer of a a weekend, a race weekend at Barber Motorsports Park, which, by the way, is a beautiful uh, facility, Um, and an IndyCar race that was worthy of the name. It's not the... It's not the easiest place to pass. It's not the biggest, wide, most wide open spot. It's in beautiful Parkland, but we had a proper race and we saw tyre strategy working in a way that I can't say I can remember seeing in IndyCar for a very, very long time. Beautiful thing, wasn't it? Oh, we yeah. Had, uh, we had variables and we love variables. Mm. If you look at the three races leading up to Barber, Honda did win one of them in the rain-shortened, rain-altered, rain-affected New Orleans uh, event. No discredit to James Hinchcliffe. A win is a win. Uh, We can definitely say that that was a strategy-aided win Mm -hmm. compared to uh, the Hondas just, you know, putting a whipping on the Chevys in, in terms of outright pace. But we can say for sure, coming into Barber last weekend, uh, even with that Honda win in place, Chevy's not just held the upper hand. I think they've, they have all the cards in hand, uh, decisive on everything in terms of victories, uh, pole positions, leading sessions, you name it. Um, so we head to Barber. We see that uh, Ganassi has been very, very fast. We see that Penske has been, you know, the closest thing to dominant this year. And what do we get? We get unexpected uh, temperatures much higher Mm -hmm. than anyone predicted for race day, higher than anyone tested in uh, during spring trainings. So it made all the data, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of the data coming into the race, what teams thought they would be looking at for setups there's a lot of guessing going into (laughs) sunday's race hindy and that's the variable that frankly i hope for and i think many people hope for you don't want predictable okay penske one two three that's how they qualified Uh, that certainly isn't how the race ended uh the best part though with those higher ambient temperatures uh, it meant some teams had to guess even the big ones on their race day setups and when you guess sometimes you get those guesses wrong (laughs) that to me mate 
that is where the brilliance of that race came from. So we had some Chevy drivers struggling mightily. We had some Honda drivers looking brilliant. Graham Rahal, James Hinchcliffe, and I think that was also actually their aero kit helping, yes. which we can get into a little bit more, uh, which wasn't expected. But um, bottom line, Joseph Newgarden drove like a 20-year veteran, yep. didn't buckle under the pressure of Scott Dixon and a bunch of other beasts trying to chase him down. Wonderful to see a first-time winner in IndyCar, first-time we've had a uh, first-time winner since Carlos Huertas at uh, Houston last year. Wow. And uh, I'll tell you, that Chevy-powered Carpenter-Fisher-Hartman team, uh, I don't think this is going to be the only time they visit Victory Lane this year, Heidi. Couldn't be happier uh, than I am for, uh, for Sarah and the rest uh, of the team because they have worked so hard for that. I, I got the suspicion at the end there that Joseph was making fuel in a very Scott Dixon way. The the big story of the race, of course, was Graham Rall, as the French commentators <laughs> call him, which was fantastic when I was watching in France a few weeks ago. Graham Rall. Uh, Graham Rahal charging back with a stake and shake car um, on a different strategy with fuel to burn. And no, Heidi, was he doing the shake and bake? He was. He certainly was. He was absolutely outstanding. Now, everybody's going to say, right, he had a different strategy, so he had more fuel, he had the right tyres at the right time, but you still got to drive at Marshall, and you've still got to get rid of traffic, and ultimately, I mean, the outside ter- the outside pass round turn five, the downhill hairpin that he pulled two or three times was brilliant. It was outstanding. Ultimately, he came up, I would guess, about a lap and a half, maybe two laps short to get on to terms with Hinchcliffe, and, and, and uh, with... Um, Newgarden, excuse me. And if he'd got on terms with Newgarden, I don't think Newgarden had anything left for him in terms of his tyres or his fuel. Very true. And keep in mind that before that late stop and the fresh tyres and everything else, uh, he was also rocket fast and carving his way through the field. So alternate strategy or no alternate strategy. Graham was on a mission. As I wrote in my preseason preview, one of the few things I've gotten right, uh, I said that if IndyCar handed out a most improved award, which they don't, but if they did, that uh, at the end of the year would go to Graham and the Ray Hall team. Uh, they've completely turned their program around. Uh, Chemistry-wise, 1,000% better. Graham mm. has matured and responded to uh, what's happened there. They have often been... I mean, I guess we can just say if you look across the 25% mark of the 2015 IndyCar season, the single car Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan team has been Honda's most consistent yes. performer. Good point. Uh, now, granted, you know, not necessarily in every race, but just session to session. And you compare that to the Andretti Autosport team, three cars, sometimes four cars. Heck, they're going to be five cars here soon in, in month of May. Uh, admittedly, right up front, Honda's number one team did all the aero kit testing funny that a a little one car team uh is truly the only one flying the flag for them and uh i I think there's an interesting thing that took place at barber uh which uh, i wrote a little bit about uh, today and that is 
Honda Aero Kit, as we know in the uh, road course and short oval configuration, has definitely had its deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Pitch sensitivity has been a big issue. The, the downforce, uh, when it comes time to brake, corner, turn, and accelerate, the, the downforce, we're not talking in a true on and off like a light switch capacity. But if you want to think of that in those terms, these cars are so finely balanced that even if you're just shedding a little bit of downforce when it's unexpected or gaining a little bit when it's not expected in that cornering phase, it really disrupts a driver's ability to be confident and and be quick through a corner. Well, that uh, pitch sensitivity has been an issue, continues to be an issue. It wasn't as much of an issue at Barber, uh, and where Ray Hall and also James Hinchcliffe were incredibly strong in the race in their Hondas, I think we can point to uh, an actual trait of the Honda Air Kit, which we haven't spoken about before, and that was with uh, ambient temperatures much higher than expected on Sunday. Uh, the Honda Aero kits not only make great downforce, but they make a lot of downforce at the rear. Uh, I definitely argue more than the Chevys, and the Chevys were suffering in particular with burning the rear tires off the car. Hot day, thinner air than expected. I think they were a bit uh, aero limited in how much downforce they could put on the back of their cars. Uh, I don't think it was a coincidence that with more downforce at the rear uh the two honda drivers honda uh entries that really nailed their setup and their arrows and their mechanical setup and arrow setup benefited from that extra downforce kept Mm. their tires in a much better state than almost any other uh, cars in the field and we saw them charge forward so funny that on a day where again chevy did dominate uh, we at least see we at least saw two hondas uh really able to take something that uh uh, maybe it was a little bit of a Chevy deficiency and turn it into an advantage just due to unexpected ambient conditions. A couple of things that uh, I, I want to just develop for a moment. Not massively, but a couple of things I think is worth mentioning. Graham Rahal, we've said before, he's no longer the kid. So the maturity that he's showing now, he had to show it. And the pressure was on. We've mentioned this before in our previews. He, he isn't the... 19, 20, 20 year old, 1 year old kid anymore, he's been around in the series for a while, in and out of it albeit, but that maturity has certainly surfaced in the last I would say 18 months and I agree with you on that. What I was going to ask you about was, do you think that his father, Bobby Rahal stepping off the timing and scoring stand and away from calling the strategy for him has made a difference that he's talking to someone else who isn't his dad. One hundred percent, Andy. Here, I think you're you've hit upon one of the two biggest developments from 2014 for the team. The first of all was a change in engineer, uh, Bill Pappas, widely respected, uh, very successful veteran. He and Graham, he and Graham just simply did not connect. Uh, if anything, it became an adversarial relationship as the season went on. That uh, you can point to directly as one of the main reasons why there was a lack of success. Uh, I would say to your point as well, you know, m- maybe uh, uh, the other 50% portion of the puzzle is it's <sighs> if you have your dad on the radio calling your race as your strategist, the person in your ear and he is holding your feet to the flames at all times, I would say that uh, the likelihood of getting the most out of yourself uh, would be much higher. Uh, with the dynamic, and we heard this over and over again, Heidi, on the radio, during the broadcast and otherwise, uh, Bob 
uh, definitely was more of an accommodating dad, an understanding mm-hmm. dad. As Graham was getting wound up or pissed off about, you know, the handling or something going on, dad was more of a calming influence. And yeah, I know and I understand it'll be okay, it'll be better. That's not what Graham needs, as mm-hmm. you know, and it's across any sport, Heidi. Mm-hmm. There are some athletes who need who respond better to the fatherly paternal uh, influence, and there are others who need that guy yelling at you and making you know just holding you absolutely accountable for every single thing. With Graham and his dad Bob together, we saw more of a father-son, child, and parent relationship. Yeah. Moving Bob off of that role, we've seen Graham actually be held accountable, and I think his maturity inside the car has mm-hmm. increased. Yeah, and certainly the choices he was making in terms of his passing was was very, very good indeed. I, I think that's a smart move. It's almost your job as is as a son to question what your father's telling you in various situations even if your father is a multiple champion a multiple indianapolis 500 when i had exactly the same so exactly the same in british uh, racing with jamie cleland son of john cleland multiple british touring car driver when jamie was driving renault cleos his dad was trying to explain stuff to him and point him in a certain direction and jamie would kind of listen but glaze over a bit and then move on. Whereas if someone else told him exactly the same thing, then he would respond to it. It was really, it was really interesting. I, I, I think that's a really interesting dynamic that's going on there. The other thing that I thought was uh, was rather interesting at the weekend: Takuma Sato involved in an accident that wasn't his fault for a change. Yes. Thank you, Lord. My prayers have come true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I might have mentioned this earlier, Heidi, but uh, in my, again, well, my preseason preview, uh, I was as blunt as, as possible with, with my thoughts on the team retaining Takuma. I mean, his contract was up. They had a choice. They decided to bring him back. And I basically said, you guys are insane uh, for doing that, uh, just based on his track record of, you know, hitting everything and everyone. And yeah. Uh, so the team laid into me. They were unhappy. And why would you write something like that? And I said, I don't know history. Uh, well, boy, it was nice to add a, a new page to Takuma's history where contact between two cars happened and he was blameless. So good on him. The other part, which I, I don't know, funny is the right word, but it seemed funny, was at the time when they penalized Will Power, who hit him and uh, had him do a drive through. Uh, through pit lane for his transgressions, he was just absolutely clueless. Why? What? What's the reason? And I couldn't, couldn't believe understand. that. And uh, yeah, so at the time was just incredulous. I mean, what? A penalty? Me? And anyways, after the race, when they interviewed him and then showed him the crash, uh, good on Will. Classic Will, where he saw it and basically said, "Ah, no, that that was completely me. You know, all, that was my fault. I feel bad." So, anyways, you know. Just, one of those things were in the heat of the moment. What? Hmm? Me? And then afterwards, like, yeah, okay. So, uh, yep, penalty, got it. That was me. Uh, a great weekend for Jeremy Shaw and for Jeremy Shaw's Team USA. We talk about this probably not enough, if I'm honest. Jeremy, who is an expat Brit, as many people know, works with us on IMSA Radio uh, and has been out in California, Southern California, for... Oh, I don't know, 25 years now, probably more. And in that time, in the bulk of that time, he's been working with uh, various scholarships, which has distilled down into what has become known over the last couple of decades, Marshall's Team USA, which has become responsible for finding some 
phenomenal talent and the alumni of, of Team USA is deep and amazing, very, very worthy drivers. We've had the good fortune of, of hosting most of the last few years guys here um, or at our old house for a bite to eat and a, and a, um, a being on this show as well. And I think, did they sweep the board at Barber in the open wheel with Team USA alumni? Yeah, I believe so, Hindy. I mean, you've got uh, Spencer Piggott, who proved to the world, because we weren't sure. I thought Ed Jones might have been a uh, a robot uh, built from <laughs> uh, parts sourced from uh, the UK and the UAE, but he is human after all. Uh, after sweeping the first three Indy Lights rounds, uh, we had Spencer Piggott, uh, Team USA graduate, win both uh, races at Barber coming out of the Pro Mazda series last year where he won the championship. Uh, in Pro Mazda, we had uh, definitely had some great stuff there. We saw Neil Alberico mm. succeed. We also had Aaron Tielitz succeed yeah. in USF 2000. I'm forgetting uh, a couple of names here, so that's uh, completely my fault. But uh, those And Joseph, won- of course, yeah. Yeah, that new garden kid. Uh, mm. I mean, it was, yeah, a shining example of what faith matched with effort, matched with money, mm-hmm. uh, can produce. And so keep in mind that on top of everything that Jeremy does, Jeremy is the author, founder, you name it, the person that makes Team USA scholarship uh, function every year. Behind that, uh, the list of supporters uh, is impressive, from Honda to the first winner, Jimmy Vassar, you know, yes. with, put, contributes to – You just, anyways, run down the list – and you can see how this is not only a passion project for Jeremy that is now, what, 25 years, 26 years in, uh, uh, but it's also something that uh, Team Penske, Mazda, uh, Pit Fit Training, blah, 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 you know, uh, my client Racer Magazine, Doug Mockett, run down the list. There's 15 or 20 more companies that put money in to help make this happen. And I know that we have uh, that, you know, there's a similar program in the UK with, you know, there are many countries that have similar programs. I don't know how many countries can boast one that is, you know, a a quarter century uh, older or more and continues to churn out not just guys that succeed for a little bit in the lower rungs and disappear. But to your point, Heidi, all four levels of the open wheel ladder from USF 2000, Pro Mazda, Indy Lights to IndyCar, there were, were Team USA scholarship winners in all four Amazing. categories last weekend. Absolute credit to Jeremy and everybody that continues to support it. Uh, let's look forward to this weekend because it's Mazda Race Wheel Laguna Seca, one of my very favourite places in the world to be. And... I'm kind of sad not to be there this weekend. It's one of the few places that I missed American Le Mans Series races for um, various bizarre reasons, including getting a passport stolen um, at one time on the Did way. you want me to get that passport back to you, by the way, Hein? Yeah, yeah. I wondered how they'd get you got in and out of the country. Um, th- this weekend, it's uh, a rather fuller schedule uh, than we had, although the, the races are um, still quite short. But we have got Continental Tyres... Uh, back this weekend with their sports car series as well. And that I think that's going to be an interesting uh, run around the uh, classic 
classic undulations of Master Raceway Laguna Seca. Uh, and IMSA this weekend, it's another one of the split races, uh, Marshall. Well, I don't know if it is, Heidi. Uh, and simply because it was, then it wasn't, and I don't believe it is. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, well, it was originally announced. Um, then it was also, then we had the announcement that it was being combined. And uh, so at least as for right now, we have a two-hour and 40-minute race scheduled for 1.05 uh, on Sunday. Now, granted, I do reserve the right to say that uh, when I get there um, and see, there, who knows? It could be split into five races. I have no idea. But at least for what I'm expecting, uh, I'm expecting a single race, and that's what they have on the latest schedule. So, yeah, a little bit of change oh, there. Oh, yes, I you're think. right. I've, I've got on the website as you were talking. Uh, and it is, yep, uh, GTD, PC, GTLM, and all of that. And the race is the Continental Tire Monterey Grand Prix powered by Mazda, um, 4.05 to 6.45 p.m. Eastern. So that's yep. uh, 1.05 to 3.45 p.m. Um, on the left-hand coast lamborghini super trofeo there this weekend as well as the uh as the continental um tire challenge as well it's a pretty busy weekend it is and i think Heidi, when the schedule was originally announced uh that was maybe prior to some of the uh, volume adjustments of car counts in each class so i think when it was originally announced they were expecting it to be uh, overwhelming and with it being and again i'll have to look at what the final number is but mid 30s high 30s with all four classes represented perfect uh, you can definitely hold a single race there which i think again quite good uh of the many things i'm looking at uh, we have qualifying ending for prototypes at 5 45 p.m uh Ooh. hopefully by the time all of that finishes saturday night night we'll be able to get out of there and uh hopefully in time to go see floyd mayweather and manny pacquiao punch each other in the head in a little super fight there so i will admit that uh although motor racing tends to be the only sport i care about uh, during the weekend uh that is something i'll be trying to uh, look after as well usual suspects uh, at the front of that uh, i'd expect to see a little bit of a return to form from um, the Michael Shank Racing guys, they were really up against it with that lovely Ligier in the new colour scheme uh, on the streets of Long Beach. But they are ploughing a fairly, uh, well, how should I say it, they're ploughing a fairly individual furrow with just the two other Mazda in the P2 side of things in that P class. But that is a car that could pull something off here, particularly with Oz Negri behind the wheel. That car will be quick. In a world where Daytona prototypes dominate, one P two, yeah, that's kind of the story of, of IMSA 2015 in terms of the prototype class. Hindy, you have one new, really super fast P two car going up against a plethora of DPs, and yes, absolutely, uh, between Oz and uh, John Pugh, we would expect that car to be incredibly fast over one lap or over a sequence of relatively traffic free. Laps. I hope I'm wrong just because I, again, I hate predictability going into an event, but Laguna is known for its dire lack of grip. Uh, the track surface itself is as polished as the finest mm. aluminum. Uh, plus, you have uh, it sits in the middle of a bowl, essentially up in the mountains. Lots of dust, dirt, and sand. And with the wind that comes in, that sand gets either thrown across the track or kicked up when cars 
runoff line, which happens frequently. So you tra- take a polished surface and you add sand yep. and dust to the top of it. And all of a sudden, cars are struggling for grip. Then you take the fact that it's, what, 2.2 miles. You throw 38 or so cars on there. And that means traffic, lots of traffic, Correct. Uh, not much grip, to me at least. Uh, that tells me there's going to be a lot of need for quick acceleration. And in that department, big torquey uh, V8s and those DPs should give them a decisive advantage in the race. And qualifying, again, uh, it could be the Osnegri show. But in the race, boy, uh, having to weave through traffic, give me a DP at Laguna. Yeah, absolutely. And glad to say that the PCs are back. I think they were a bit of a miss uh, at Long Beach. Understand why yep. they weren't there, but I, they, they'll add to the show. Uh, MP, running out of time rapidly. Um, very envious of you at the uh, weekend. Say uh, hello to Jill Campbell and Bixler and the rest of the team at uh, Mazda Race with Laguna Seca for me, won't you? Thank you, brother. Look forward to it. And I'll tell you, I'm missing, uh, after the delight we had at Silverstone, I, I'm jealous that you'll be at Spa, but uh, I guess it's the next race I go to is Le Mans. I can't really complain. No, you can't. And it's all on different days anyway. Uh, Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, mate. And that's just about all we have time for. Uh, my thanks to Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com, to Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCar.com and Nick Damon, who remains with us at the moment. It's a busy week. from RC Racing TV? Yes. RCRacing.tv. Yes, RCRacing.tv, absolutely. I, I, I just feel I need that moniker. Yes. It makes it feel more important. Uh, by the way, the champagne was lovely. That was a nice thought, by the way. <laughs> Even I had that a, a week or so oh, ago. Um, and thanks to the responsible adult for being responsible as ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't forget, it's a busy weekend this weekend with everything that's going on at Spa uh, in Japan and, of course, oh, Japan. in IMSA. I forgot Japan entirely. Yes, Master Race. There's three separate streams doing all different things all at the same time it would seem to me I'm not even going to try and explain what is where but IMSA Radio will cover all of the IMSA races and supports remember so every session of the Chile United Sports Car uh, qualifying and the race for Conti and the races for any other IMSA supports <laughs> then we've got RadioLamont.com for the race on Saturday Saturday at Spa. I wish the I wish the listeners could see you as you roll your eyes into your head like I know, a, I'm trying like, to work a, it out. like a nine year old trying to remember the eight times table. Uh, and on Sunday, early hours of Sunday morning UK time, it'll be Japanese <laughs> Super GT mm-hmm. on RadioLamont.com and in Sound and Vision, of course, on Nismo TV. And for a bit of extra, and it is on RSL Extra, we have the battery tender Mazda MX5 Cup races from uh, from Laguna Seca from Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca as well so there's plenty to get on and it's uh, it'll be Saturday Friday, Saturday, Sunday for IMSA Radio um, mainly Saturday for the WEC and mainly Sunday depending on where you are these are all UK times look at the front page because uh, frankly I'm still not sure turn when on I've... radio press button get motorsport well turn on radio go to player yeah. yes decide what you want to listen to and, and everybody has been saying what if I want to listen to both? Well, either open two browsers, which you can do, or we will have the archives <laughs> yeah. for download, for podcasts, or you can do listen on demand. Is there a lot of clashes? It's not massively clashy, is it? Um, yes. Is it? Oh, sorry. I okay, don't even... Sorry. <laughs> 
which is why I don't even want to explain it. Anyway, sh- hopefully back to normal. No time to explain. <laughs> there really is no time to explain. Uh, Nick's on special assignment next week, but hopefully we've got Tim back. Otherwise, I'll be talking on my own for two hours, which is bad news for everyone. There really is no time to explain because the llama's on three time zones and needs to go to Azerbaijan. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.